Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and I'm awake and alert, and I was not kept up all night by my baby, so I'm in great shape. <laughs> I'm sure you can tell. Uh, and I'm especially excited to uh, be talking about uh, locations and uh, characters and costume designs today. I think, do, do we have any other topics today, guys? Uh, spiders. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what he meant when he said characters. Yes. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Characters. yeah, yeah. I was, I was really, really happy this morning when I uh, woke up and in my, my, you know, um, half awake stupor, opened up the PowerPoint that Marie sent us to and flipped through to find some horrifying um, up close photos of spiders. Warn. There is characters. a warning. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't really didn't pay close attention to that. So. <laughs> that was a. That was a what? What? How does Sam put it? That was an eye opener. That was an sure. eye opener. No mistake. <laughs> no mistake. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, as you can hear, um, faithful listeners, I'm joined as always by the Tolkien Maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson. And okay. uh, what did you guys think of the spider pictures? It's awesome. I can't uh, wait. I can't awesome. wait. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be casting <laughs> spiders and everything. It's going to be great. Uh, so, yeah, so today is the day when we shift. So we, we did casting last time, and today we want to shift and do uh, look at some of the, the creative work that our listeners have been doing. So there have been a bunch of threads that have been going on, people talking about uh, locations, you know, sort of visually how we conceive of some of the, some of the, the sort of the key iconic uh, uh, spots. Um, and some really great suggestions and pictures we'll be looking at for those um, for uh, the, and uh, sort of character and design concepts, things like costuming and everything to be able to see. This follows up on some of the discussions we had uh, as we as we went through. So I'll be interested to see how those things go. We're going to be looking at maps. We have a cartographer. I was super excited to see that we had a cartographer uh, among our listeners who's been doing some map work, which is really cool. Um, and um, yeah, and also, of course, spiders, because we have to we have to cast on Goliath. So there we are. All right. And uh, uh, there's the an outside chance that we'll get to discuss musical themes today. Uh, our own Philip Menzies has been doing some more composing. Uh, those of you who've been listening all along will remember the work that he did last time for uh, the themes of the different Valar and stuff uh, in season one, which was awesome. I really enjoy uh, his work, which he's done some not only some some uh, more of that kind of character related theme, um, but uh, I love the fact that he's been doing some musical themes connected not just with characters, but with but with concepts like doom and purpose and and fall and falling, um, which I think are, are are really really neat. So I'm pro- we're probably going to end up saving the music stuff until next time, uh, but uh, I hope to get through all the the visual stuff this week. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be really cool. So, all right. So we're going to begin. So, and, uh, many thanks, uh, to Marie Mithluen for, uh, uh, setting up our PowerPoint today. Uh, this is just a, a wonderful again, just like she did the casting one last time. Uh, so, um, again, many thanks for doing this. This makes things so much clearer. And I know this is another, of course, another very visually oriented one like the casting episode last time. So I know for those of you who are listening on the audio-only podcast, 
uh, it's uh, I know there's going to be many times we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at things. Going uh, I will try describing what we're seeing to some extent uh, verbally. Um, but of course, if you want to uh, uh, glance at it, the video will be up on YouTube on the Signum YouTube channel. Uh, if after you listen, perhaps you want to go back and look at some of the just kind of uh, uh, skim through and look at some of the images that we were looking at. That's where you'll be able to find them. So, all right, uh, let's uh, let's move forward. So, first we have locations and sets. Okay, our first is Quivianen. So the uh, the the this is now. So, Marie, if I'm understanding, this is sort of the consensus, right, of the uh, the 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 parameters for Quivianen, right? We decided that it was going to be temperate, um, uh, you know, not 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 tropical, but uh, but definitely sort of mild. Uh, a large freshwater lake. We were describing we we want an island. Remember, we have a bunch of things with the uh, with with the island and them being sort of taking refuge on the island and everything. Um, abundant food, readily available. Yes, they should not be having to scratch out a hard living there by the shores of Quivienne, and it should be relatively easy. Um, uh, the reminder that there are no walled towns at early Elvish settlements, uh, and of course to remember that we have to picture this. Uh, not in the glaring sunlight like we will see in pretty much every picture of every lake we're going to be looking at, um, lit only by starlight and fires. So, several suggestions here. Uh, the first two suggestions are uh, Lee Lake in Wyoming and Lake Van in Turkey here. Um, what do you guys think of these images? I like them. <laughs> course you know put me put anything on water and i'm good yeah um i am a big fan of the mountains in the background yeah um yeah the lee lake one is really yeah yeah i i um the the um this uh this this picture here on the top right where you have you know the island with the trees there, and uh, that that mountain in the background strikes me as as kind of perfect, um, large enough to be a really impressive background. I love that sense of looming. This sort of having the mountains right there near the lake. You know, so it shouldn't be. It shouldn't feel sheltered. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like it's a, a a sort of a, 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 a. I mean, though that could be a cool effect. You know, if this were like a a sort of a like a hidden valley. You know, hidden mountain valley or something. Um, but right. but I kind of like the openness and yet this sense of like that the idea of like you know the grandeur of Middle Earth that's out there. You know, as sort of symbolized by the mountain in the background. I really. Um, and it's in the U.S. So it'll be cheaper for us. It's true. Yes. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> we got to think about production costs. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, you're right. I agree. I think that would. I mean, that's like perfect. Yeah. So um, that yeah, one I think that was being my favorite. Sort of like the stock look of Quivian and you know on the yeah. screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's even even more than the even more than the 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 island. I really liked the the mountain was my. It's mm-hmm. definitely my favorite part of that one. Um, uh, Lake Champlain. No. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. Filming, I was going to say, um, filming this will be a giant pain in the butt. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we'll only be able to film it at night. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we have just a really big soundstage, and we recreate a whole bunch of stuff. So you know. Yeah, pro- probably probably need to because otherwise we're we have to wait until the sun's absolutely down, and the minute it starts coming up, we're done. Yeah. Well, it's exactly. actually kind of like gloaming, right? It's actually like then the gloaming is when we'd have to. So, what have we got, like 15 minutes or something? Yes. Gloaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I could just see that, you know, sort of on, on our on location sets, right? Gloaming alert, right? Glo- gloaming in 20 <laughs> minutes. Come on, get, get moving, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I agree, Dave. This It's, it's really. It would really limit what we could do outside, because um, even I was when actually we're in thinking anyway that most of it would be, you know, most of the shots like of a place like this would be just like set shots, you set know, shots, and all yeah. the actual action would be indoors someplace. Yep. Yeah, or or shot in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Austin, it, I understand, is is making its play for you know people to come do shoot shooting here. So <laughs> not so wherever we can get. Wherever we can get tax breaks, that's right? That's exactly, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah. I, 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 it certainly would be a challenge, but I, I, I really don't think there's not going to be that many. I wouldn't think there would be that many that would absolutely have to be on location. I mean, we're not going to have many like you know, a great number of like hiking over mountain trails kinds of scenes necessarily, you know, I mean, a lot of it could certainly like all of the discussions in like the settlements of, uh, uh, of the elves on the shores and, uh, you know, the, the debate in the councils and, um, ambassadors meeting folks in Valinor and stuff, you know, those can, those can, none of those really need to be outdoor shots. Right. Um, yeah, see, Nick, exactly. I'm thinking during the migration of the Eldar, we can sort of establish the movement and the, the, the sort of the progression of that just through, like, you know, scenery shots, through, like, helicopter shots, basically, uh, and, uh, uh, and then have the actual, have the actual scenes, you know, the uh, in, interpersonal scenes happening indoors, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, sort of uh, uh, looking at some of these other options, uh, we've got Lake Champlain uh, and uh, Lake Como. Uh, uh, it's funny, I'm actually going to uh, be driving to Lake Champlain today, actually. I'll be uh, having dinner by Lake Champlain uh, on this very day. Um, nice. Driving up to Burlington, Vermont. To uh, I'm going to be speaking at the uh, Vermont Tolkien Conference tomorrow, so uh, I was amused. Exactly. I'll scout it. I'll scout it. Yeah. I'm going to bring in my roadie with me. My son, Nicholas, is coming on the trip with me. So he'll be uh, uh, wandering around by Champlain. So we'll see. We'll see if we can find any good spots. Um, the one advantage to a big lake like Champlain here is, uh, you know, that sh- the shot that we're getting in the top right is sort of a dawn shot. It looks like dawn, not sunset. But um, what I really like about this is the distant, you know, bloom hills there in the background. Um, that kind of shot is really nice. Um, to show Quivian as, as a very large lake and, you know, the, the, the sort of like distant hills and mountains are a really nice effect as well. So I do, I do like that. The Lake Como shot, this is gorgeous, of course. I mean, this is absolutely beautiful. 
I think the thing I don't, I'm not sure I would want it near the Alps. I think the Alps are too much. Um, like the, 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 the whole huge snowy ridge. I mean, it's enormously imposing, of course, and incredibly beautiful. But the snow top mountains seem to me uh, like that's, that's too Misty Mountain-ish. You know, like we, we would want to save the Alps for things like the Misty Mountains, which are right. meant to be a barrier, like right. an obstacle, like a wall. That really looks I mean, like I can a wall. Around Lake Como or that area might be Rivendell country. Uh, you know, not the lake, obviously, but in that part of Italy. With the Alps in the background. Yeah, 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 conceivably. I mean, it's, uh, um, so anyway, like I said, I, I, I like it, but yeah, I'm, I definitely would want to, because uh, the Misty Mountains need to, need to really stand out. Um, even the Blue Mountains, I think, would be, I mean, I think if, if we're going to use the Alps, it really would be for the Misty Mountains that we would use the Alps. Those need to be the, the really the most imposing, more imposing to cross than the Blue Mountains are. Um, so, um, yeah, because again, there's there, there's that there's that reference to the Misty Mountains being thrown up in order to impede in, in order to impede travel, basically. So, um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, right. Nick is reminding me that we do need uh, we need them to to be able to feel threatened by something happening on the mountains. Yes, that's true. Right? You know, with the the battle going on, um, but uh, but which is why I am pro mountain. Um, you know, having mountains in the background, but that's why, you know, going backwards on the images. Okay, well, let's move forward before we go backwards. So we have um, uh, 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 Lake Matheson in New Zealand, which is, of course, very New Zealandish and beautiful. Uh, I have to say, I like this, The as far as the snowy mountains are concerned, this effect is a little bit better for me. Again, with Lake Como, that uh, it's like this this wall that rises very abruptly next to the lake. That's what I don't like about it. Like the way that it just butts up against this mountain wall. Um, again, that view of the Alps that we're getting right there certainly looks to me like the, um, like the wall of the Misty Mountains. I, I, I think it's a great Misty Mountain shot, but it's not what I would want by Quivien in. Whereas this right. is, is a little bit better in the sense that, you know, so here uh, in the Lake Matheson shot, we have, um, you know, a nice, uh, a nice woodland shore and then some, some, some green tree covered mountains in the foreground with the snow capped peaks, uh, the sort of crest of snow capped peaks looming up behind them. And that's a nice effect. I could definitely see this. Um, I think I still kind of like the first one better. Well, I'm sorry, but New Zealand, we are not doing anything in New Zealand. I mean, it's just too, (laughs) that is like, Typecasting the set, right? Who on the nose? You know, I mean, really. Right, right. I hear that. I hear that. I mean, of course, I hate to. I, I hate to say like all of New Zealand is right out, but I, but I do know what you mean. Of course. Well, like, I mean, it's, and, it's and like think, you know, you know, think about it. It's like you know, Peter Jackson's from New Zealand, so right. you know, of course, he would use New Zealand. So we're American, so we would use. There's plenty of terrain in America. Um, And think what it'll do for tourism, because, of course, this is going to be a wildly popular show. Oh, man, exactly. Just like millions and millions of people wanting to come to the the spots of the the film film sets. Absolutely. (laughs) That is nice, though. But I do do think the the first one I like still. 
Hakan was concerned that uh, Lake Matheson in New Zealand is too small, and I, certainly this shot does not show a very large lake. It, it might we might get different angles of it, but yeah, we definitely would want a large uh, body of water. Uh, there's another uh, Italy shot. How do you pronounce this? Uh, I mean, I, I dolomites, dolomites, dolomites. Uh, yeah. In English, dolomites. <laughs> yeah, we're Americans. We pronounce it dolomites. dolomites. So uh, dolomites. yeah. Anyway, um, I can't remember what it's called. In Italian, I like though. I. These mountains are a little too craggy for me. A little too stark. Which the Dolomites ones? Yeah. Um, it's got these, uh, again, r- really nice with, like, these really sharp uh, uh, sort of jutting crags behind it, which is which is a, a, a striking effect. Again, it's, 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 it's a lovely shot. Um, but I like the yeah, idea. We, you couldn't... Utumno or or Angband. They're they're certainly more Angbandy, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Because you could certainly see somebody hanging from one of those while a you know eagle comes and saves him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dolomiti says Robert Brown. I was rather figuring it would be. Uh, I was kind of making fun of our making fun of us Americans by pronouncing it Dolomites, but um, yeah, uh, the Dolomiti. Yeah, they, they do seem. Uh, Trish Mario was thinking the same thing. They they look they look a little more Angbandy. Um, they yeah. also don't really look. See that the thing that I like going back to this. The thing that I like about uh, the mountain here, the mountains here in Wyoming, is they look they look climbable. Um, uh, you know, it looks. You know, Nick, thinking about what you were talking about, them, the you know, the elves being here in Quivienen while the battle is going on. You know, the the, the uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, linking back to the end of season one, uh, you can imagine like the a battle like enemies coming and spilling around these hills or even over them, right? Whereas uh, again, if it's if it seems walled, then it's actually wouldn't want it to seem that safe. If you see what I mean. Um, so, I think I'm going with the Wyoming one here. I think I think this is this is I, as long as the lake's big enough. It's hard to tell from these pictures exactly how big this lake is, but. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Lake Champlain. I do prefer the larger mountains around it, but but uh, the uh, the distant hills is kind of nice. So we'll have to see if we can get some shots, anything like that. Um. <laughs> all right. Uh. Go, no. Boy, we got more. I'm, 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 I'm forget. I'm forgetting. We have uh, also this uh, Lake Riza in Georgia. That is oh. in the country Georgia, Ooh, not in the state Georgia. Um. Oh golly, that's really interesting. That is really interesting. Okay, so we have, uh, hmm. So this again, we have a sort of a layered effect with uh, 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 steep but heavily wooded hills rising rather sharply from the edge of the uh, from the edge of the lake, and then uh, sort of brown rocky prominences behind it, not snow capped, uh, but looking fairly imposing. Um, hmm. I don't know, actually. I'm kind of liking it. Hawkeye wants red mountains, but you know, we can always see Jay red into the mountains. So it's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, can, we, can make, we can make the round mountains however we want. Um, Ang Bandy. Yes, Ang Bandy, Tom Hillman. Ang yeah. Bandy. Yeah, we That's can use Ang Bandy. Or he says Ang Ang banditudinous. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Then there's also ang band ish when it's not quite but close. Yeah. 
think I, I think I like Ang Bandy. Ang Bandy, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ang Bandy. Actually, I think I may have to start a Hobbit and name him that. Yeah. In <laughs> Ang Bandy. Ang Bandy. <laughs> or a chicken. I have a pet chicken named <laughs> Ang Bandy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I woke up late today. I'm a little. This punchy. is looking. This is looking pretty good. I'm liking like it is. I am. I, I really I'm like this right too. Hand, I think I think right that Lake Riza in Georgia yeah. is unseating Wyoming in my mind here now because yeah. what I like about this is is the approaches. This gives a really great sense of sort of looming threat in the background, yeah. um, and it's it's very approachable. I mean, like you can easily imagine like an oncoming yeah. enemy. I'm looking at these hills, so you know we 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 get this series of hills with valleys between them that 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 come down that you know rise right on the shore. Um, so I'm even imagining like we could you know we could have flames and like you know, see visible battles in the distance there between the hills. That would yeah. be that'd be really you know. And the other thing we talked about, and I'm looking at the right photo for this, is we did talk about that they would be doing agriculture because who knows how long they were in Quivian, and you could see it's like almost terror. You could have terrorist gardens up that up that hill yes you know in the distance yes. of that picture um marie said hakan kept, kept coming back to this one there's something appropriate about it and hakan says hooray my favorites <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah now marie yeah, and it out has a nice mix of deciduous and evergreen trees too that's yes point. yes it is it is that that is really nice marie points out that it doesn't have an island but we can always we can always find a different lake for an island yeah yeah we can just we could erect a cgi island <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, do, we'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll go on site at Lake Riza and then we'll do some pickup shots uh, um, in, in uh, Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. Lake Riza. Now, see, we're including the Star Trek fans now, too, Lake Riza. <laughs> God, I wasn't the only one thinking that. Uh, yes. Oh, there, is there some kind of like subconscious thing here where we're preferring it and picking it because we're convinced oh, it's going to be our no. pleasure it's planet? Be like, so. Yes. Luxury pleasure. pleasure lake here, yeah, yeah. Small anecdote. I don't. Do you guys remember the the movie, the Quiet Gen- Quiet Gentleman? Was the one with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara in Ireland? He's the American comes to Ireland. Oh, I've seen it's that. A little, little, okay, it's it's the Quiet Man. Quiet Man. Somebody will know. Anyhow, it it takes place in this village in Ireland, and I remember one of my trips to Ireland. I forget how I knew this. Anyway. The sets for this little village in Ireland are all over Ireland. <laughs> it's one little village, but the bridge is over here in this part of the country, and the, and the <laughs> brochures is over there. I was devastated. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> That's what I thought of when Marie said we don't have an island. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. We'll just Quiet man, it quiet man. Yes, quiet man. right. Yeah. That's what it is. Christine It'll be good. Quiet man. It'll be good. Okay, cool. All right. I so I I think we have a winner for uh, Quivian in there. I think I the, the, the more I look at it, I think that's perfect. It's got it's got everything I liked about the Wyoming site. And okay, so much now more. you know the executive producers need to make an on location visit. At some well, point. I mean, before we can really be sure about these oh, things, yeah. we right. obviously need Sorry. to be flown to all of them. So let's get on that, people. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> next Alcalande. Um, so okay, so we've got. Alcalande, which is, of course, on the coast, it's at the foot of the Pilori. Um, so we're looking at, you know, 
mountains rising right up behind it. Um, we need we need keys and piers for buildings um, and an emphasis on we, you know we want green we 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 don't want it to look you know stark and blasted you know the the, the, yeah. the mountains it's got to be lush and uh, and green and beautiful. So we have a, a few candidates here. Uh, one shot from Hawaii, which is of course beautiful. I'm not sure I like the tropical Hawaiian ocean water, though. Like the kind of you know the this sort of tropical blue the, of the, the tropical sea. Blue, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's certainly it's it's certainly beautiful, and uh, you know is sort of associated with you know uh, peace and you know, relaxation and, uh, you know, vacations. Well, like, you know, like like that, we, but... can, we can color it, but, you know, it, it, in other words, we can, we can mask that water in terms of the color. Yeah, um, it's true. It's true. I mean, you do get the lush and you do get the, the dramatic, you know, that all that volcanic stuff is like pretty dramatic. It is really um, dramatic. And that would be probably true of a lot of Polynesian islands, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have um, so the are the three candidates that are here on this page is is that uh, do we yeah okay these are our three candidates for Aqualande. Um, we basically have Hawaii, Norway, and uh, and Wales. The Welsh coast shot is really more of a more of a, a cliffs with grasslands up on top. Uh, kind of thing. Right. Uh, right. The Norway shot, um, uh, which is on the uh, that Lofoten almost Islands. is Esgarothi. See, there's another one, Esgarothi. Esgarothi. It's a little Esgarothi. Um, uh, I mean, by I the think... end of this episode, you'll have a whole flock of chickens. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, of course, the buildings wouldn't be right. I mean, we're not talking about those particular buildings, but that setting. Yeah. And that gives us a sense of what it would be like with keys and whatnot. I'm thinking. I, I I think we should. I think we're going to need to go with with Hawaii here. I mean, I think the whole like Pacific Islands Ring yeah. of Fire kind of geography is going to work best because the As Pilori Hawkeye says the Pilori are supposed to be extremely steep, really right? steep, right? And yeah. basically, I mean, they're they're raised up along the coast in order to be a wall. So we need somewhere where we're going to have huge mountains right at the edge of the ocean, which basically means volcano. I mean, it's the only place, it's yeah, only, only in true. volcanic structures are you going to find that uh, in uh, in the real world. So, You know, Tony's talking about, and I am very familiar with this part of the country, <laughs> big surprise. Um, uh, the Wait, did you used to US, live there, the Trish? Part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is a running joke between me and Trish. Any, any, any location in the world I mention, Trish is always like, oh yeah, I, I used to live there once. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. I have yet um, to I'm stump a, her I'm a, on that. I'm a, I'm a gadfly. Well, I can give you whole continents I haven't been to, so that's that's you know New Zealand I haven't been to. Um, but he's right. You know the, the Northern California, you know, kind of, and the Washington, you get that uh, green, 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 green. But what you don't really have is you don't have the mountains like this. Right. Um, you have cliffs, but you don't have mountains like like in Hawaii. Right. So right. probably you're right, like a Polynesian type. For, you know, formation would be the best. Yeah, because then, then, then you can have the mountains, and I mean, it's because, yeah, the kind of abruptness of the mountains as they're described, I think, is really going to require volcanic activity for, um, 
for real world formation. Um, so yeah, I think we can go with that. And I, I would, um, do you guys agree with me about the water? Would you want darker water? Or would you be, I mean, it's kind of interesting to have the Bay of Elven home be that kind of, you know, yeah, it is. Only I do think that in a viewer's mind, it would set it more equatorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think there'd be like even an unconscious connection to equatorial, which we are not. It's not really right. I mean, well, I don't necessarily want to go all the way with like the Norse bloody bloody, but still, it's. I don't know that. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I think in my mind's eye, uh, I, I viewed it as uh, equatorial. Mm-hmm. Did you? Tropical. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah, right. This picture you're talking about, or you're talking about uh, Aqualande. Itself. I mean, Aqualande, like like ah. the, the the Hawaiian image there. Does it? Does it? I don't find. I'm not finding a lot of uh, clash with my mental image. I'm looking, saying like, ah, okay. right. Well, of course, actually, no. That's right. Hakan has just reminded us this is entirely a moot point because it only looks glowing blue like that in the sunlight, which we will never show it in. So. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Also, yes. No, you're right. No, I, also, I agree. I do think that the the Hawaii picture more fits my mental image as well. Also, we need to. We also need to cast our imaginations um, ahead and imagine what it will look like when it's all turned red, running with yes, blood. Yes, I was thinking running that very blood, same right, thing exactly, when Hawkins yeah. said that. And how will it look body. under? How will yeah. it look lit, lit up by fire? <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, and we do need, as as uh, Robert Brown is pointing out, we do need to make sure that we have... I'm not sure that this exact spot that's in the picture. I mean, there's this nice little little bay beach there set within the hills, but it's not big enough, I think. Um, you know, and right. we, we definitely want a, a sort of a natural harbor. Again, as Robert Brown is saying, a naturally encircled yeah. harbor with a sea gate is the kind of thing that we'd be looking for. Um, so... Yeah. But I think you're going to find that most likely in Polynesia, maybe you know Hawaii or someplace, you know, right. in Polynesia. Possibly Japan, as as Tom points out, we we might True. be able to get a Japanese spot. And sometimes work. you get the 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 reef protected, uh, you know, enclosures. Right. So it's not like there'd be a wall necessarily, but there's like a reef, you know, and then it's enclosed. So you know, but but you know, we'll have to just go and check these places out. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Fiji could be, you know, right. <laughs> hey, you know, again, we just have to, you know, obviously yeah. we've got to do some research there. Uh, that's right. We'll do some Polynesian Island research and get back to everybody. But, yeah, I, I, I do think that that's, that's clearly the concept. Uh, good. Okay, next, Tolaresia. So, okay, we have got the the fundamental question here uh, that we've been asked is, do we want a, do we want a volcanic island uh, or do we want, like, a chalky island? Um, my, um, my objection here to, um, an island that's too volcanic. So like in the bottom right, we have like six images on this screen. Uh, on the, our bottom right picture over here is a really interesting looking island, which is basically, it's, it's obviously like a, a volcanic basin, essentially, you know, where you have this, this, this sort of oval wall with a, with a concavity on the inside. Um, you know, this like beautiful lush wooded concavity on the inside. It's a really striking looking place, you know, seen from a distance. I can totally see like, wow, that would, that would be a really nifty looking 
Puy Vienna or uh, uh, Toresia. But um, but it's too volcanic. Like you look at that and you're like, that's a volcano, which means you can't imagine it floating around, right? I mean, like that anything which which so obviously looks like the top of a of a submerged mountain, you just can't imagine that thing drifting anywhere. You know, I mean, not that you generally imagine islands drifting around, but do you see what I mean? Though, I mean, it's just like it's it's. It's too much suspension of too much. Uh, I, I, there's there's some islands that are easier to imagine floating around than others. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just the way it is. Um, and Marielle wants to repeat her desire for the record to save Santorini for um, oh Santori for uh, Numenor, given its Atlantis connection. You know, there's a real right. world connection. Oh, yes, there. we have a picture from Santori, Greece, here with the. Um, yeah, I I, I I would second that actually. Um, I think that that looks uh, that looks nice for for Numenor. We we could do some Numenorean stuff there. You know, I th- this is we're way in the future, but I think the way that Numenor is architected, Minas Tirith should evoke that same. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. View, you know, it's like definitely you know it's Numenorean. Yeah, definitely. In, in the tiers and the you know terraces and whatnot. Anyway, back to back to Tolaresia. Back to Tolaresia. Yeah. So, I of the ones that we have here now. So there are a couple like chalky cliff islands, Um, and chalky cliffs are nice. But I think I prefer rocky sides rather than chalky. Do, says, please do it could explain. Hakan, do you mean the island could be full of gas, so it's like floating around? It's, it's, <laughs> right. so, it's just one line, kind of, because of course he doesn't know what else we're seeing, but it's like almost out of context. It right. could be filled with gas. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, the volcanic island could be filled with gas. Absolutely. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> I well, I really love this shot. The top left shot um, is great. So I mean, if 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 this is just a different part of the island, then that's cool. Um, this is this is absolutely my favorite. Tolaresia shot. I, I think this is absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, I love how this... You could totally imagine this thing having just been, like, ripped off from the side of the coast and pushed out to sea, right? That really has... That really... Because that's what we want to convey, right? It can't... And again, that's another thing with the, the other reason why I don't like the the obvious volcanic basin kind of island is that it doesn't look like... That does not look like it used to be part of the mainland, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you look at this mm-hmm. and you're like, that obviously rose up out of the sea, right? It didn't get... Mm-hmm. Whereas this really does look like it was broken away, you know, or at least, you know, it, you can easily imagine, like, that, that that thing broke away from the mainland, you know? There's, like, a place on the shoreline that fits... That would fit into that, you know, because it broke off. Like, you can easily imagine that, and that's, that's the kind of thing. So the... Um, uh, so yeah, the top left there. Um, so you're welcome to turn off my mic after I say this. <laughs> <laughs> you may need to, but I'm just in that kind of mood today. So Hawk, I'm you know it seriously is making this thing. It could be full of gas. But then I was thinking helium. So all the elves go yeah. around talking in really high voices. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you very much for that. No, no, it's it's. <laughs> I do like I do like. Um, uh, I I do like this, uh, you know, this shot. And again, if if this yeah. is all, if this is all the same island, that that's cool. I mean, like the 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 the, the chalky faces are really 
uh, are really yeah are really nice too. This is my favorite angle, um, you know. So this this kind of this kind of thing we'd be looking for. Now the thing is, remember, Tolaresia needs to be pretty big. Um, when Tolaresia is described, uh, for instance, I think of you know the part of Tolaresia that hap uh, the, the, the like the the frame of the Lost Tales, which happens on Tolaresia. There's like different cities that you have to travel between on Tolaresia. You know, so remember that originally. Tolaresia was the size of England, approximately exactly the size of England, because it was England, right? So, um, you know, when we're talking about floating island, we're not talking about uh, like a single volcanic basin. We're talking about something the size of England, right? So it doesn't have to be actually that big. Um, But uh, we do want to uh, convey... With uh, any sort of, uh, you know, helicopter shots we show of Tolaresia, we don't want it to look like a little speck in the water. We want it to be, you know, you know, I don't think we ever show it all at once, even. You know, like, I don't think we ever show it from the sky so you can see the entire island. Um, I think it's going to, it's got to be too big for that, basically. Um, yeah. Hawkins says we could just take Ireland. Uh, yeah, exactly. We could just take Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, of course, I mean, you remember Ireland is formed. Um, I, uh, this is originally the tug of war between Ossay and Olmo um, in the Book of Lost Tales. So in the Book of Lost Tales, right, the island of England is is Tolaresia, and so Olmo's is bringing it, bringing it back uh, into the into the east and, and, and Ossie doesn't want to let it go and he gets mad that it got uprooted because he rooted it and so he's like pulling it back and Olmo is pushing so they're having this tug of war on the British Isles and then like I, Ireland breaks off and that's how it that's how it that's how it started um, and if you think it isn't political humor that the uh, island of Ireland is formed by like a tug of war I, uh, <laughs> I think that uh you would be wrong. So anyway, um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, it's you know we could we could uh, certainly again size wise like an island the size of Ireland would be would be would be certainly good. We in 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 actual terms it it couldn't be an island much smaller than that um, because we're talking lots and lots of elves are going to end up there uh, and not be living in you know multi story tenements. So. Um, we definitely want it to be, to be large. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Um, let's keep going. Calicuria. This was really interesting. This is something, uh, one of the things that I am loving about this exercise is there's so many things that I find that I never really envisioned very clearly at all. And I think that, uh, this is what, for me, this is one of them. Um, that I have, you know, I kind of have a, a, a picture in my head of Alqualande and of Tyrion, um, but I never actually really thought about the Calicuria itself. Uh, the Calicuria being, of course, as everyone will recall, uh, the gap in the Pylori that's left open by the Valar for the uh, for the elves to get through and for the the air of the outer worlds to uh, to, to enter into Valinor. Um, yep, didn't think about that at all. Yeah, exactly. And I, but so I think this is, this is, this is great. So, uh, so Ray on the discussion boards, 
um, was saying that uh, uh, he likes the idea of Valinor being a lot larger than most people picture in their head. Absolutely, I agree. Um, uh, is that it, w- it will give a scope and grandeur to Valinor. Uh, he'd love to see a river cascading down the Calakiri. He says, in his mind, the Calakiri is at least a mile higher on the western end where Izelohar is than on the eastern end. The river could flow through Tyrion in a series of waterfalls. So, yes, I agree. We're looking for not just a a, a sort of a gap, uh, you know, a, a little, like, cleft in the mountains. Um, it is a cleft in the mountains, but it's 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 large. These uh, shots, again, these are these are Hawaii shots, which fits with our previous decision. Um, the the uh, images that we're getting here of the uh, of the uh, Kalalau Valley in Hawaii, uh, and it is it uh, this I, this seems to me perfect, right? We've got steep uh, steep sides, but it's not just you know we we have a, this sort of smooth bowl like valley which slopes down very uh, uh, sharply, but not precipitously uh, down to the sea, so you can easily see. Alcalande down at the bottom of that, we'd have to do some stuff with the harbor because uh, it's not a really sheltered, you know, bay there. So we'd have to we'd have to mess with that somehow. Um, but this, uh, all of these pictures, I think, are really perfect. Imagining this from the sea, uh, and you can see sort of Tyrion built up. You know, maybe uh, thinking on the left hand side over here, one of this like this sort of flat shoulder up here so with the the tower looking down out over the bay um i love that i think you know we we don't exactly have um uh, we don't exactly have the hill right you know the hill of tuna um but uh, yeah um oh by the way uh can i tell a little tuna story Hill of Tuna. Uh, I got. It's only fair. I've been telling anecdotes all morning, so okay. yes. Well, I, I got an email from somebody who was very gently uh, teasing me for being an American, um, because as she was saying, like the whole tuna fish joke is a completely American thing, uh, because the, the 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 word does seem to be pronounced tuna, like an American would pronounce the name of the fish. But as uh, as my correspondent was pointing out, that is not how a British person pronounces the name of the fish. So to Tolkien, it would not even have been uh, the same word. So not only did he not, you know, did he not notice, you know, w- w- you know, was he kind of oblivious to that positive? I mean, of course, it's still spelled the same way, um, but it wouldn't, in fact, sound the same way um, because they, they don't say tuna uh, for the fish. It's more like tuna. Um, you know, it's more that they, they turn that vowel, you know, to the tu uh, uh, kind of vowel. Um, so it would not indeed sound alike. It only sounds alike to Americans. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, that's fair. It's, 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 it's. Well, so it's that totally we can fair. still come up with a joke. We just have to contextualize it. Right. Yeah. It makes the joke more on us. But anyway. Um, right. <laughs> so. So yeah, the, uh, the, there's no really prominent hill. Is the point? I mean, Tyrion does need to be on a hill. Um, so we, you know, th- there's some there's some issues we'd have to fix. Uh, you know, when we're doing the sets, like we would need to ha- to to be able to create the impression of like the hill of Tuna upon which uh, Tyrion is sitting. We need to mess with the harbor. But as far as valley goes, I think that's awesome. I think that's really perfect. Um, everything should be on an on a very grand scale. Um, 
it it is easy. I agree with Ray. It is easy to imagine Valinor and Valmar and everything as as really quite small. But we're talking about a continent here. We're not talking about a, a you know a, a little island or something. Um, and it would be nice to kind of convey that. Obviously, we're not going to you know spend a lot of time exploring it. But um, but we do need to to sort of show this is uh, this is this is very large. Um. But, uh, yeah, good. Okay. Um, so now to our cartographer. Um, this is the map. I'm hoping that we'll get, uh, we're going to see if we can get, um, a, uh, uh, a higher res version of this. Um, but, um, cause wait, I can't read the writing is my problem here. Uh, but this is actually a map of, uh, of <clears throat> Amon. Uh, with the mountains up here. Now, again, these aren't quite as close to the coast as I would want them. That's one of my biggest critiques of this map. Um, they need to be right up against the the edge. This is quite a bit of terrain here between the coast and the mountains, um, you know, which maybe we can get away with that further down in the south. But up here is what we're looking at, right? This is the uh, this is the Bay of Elvenholm, and that's Tyrion. This is the Calakiria, uh up in here. Um, uh, and I believe that this is, so this is like Valmar. Oh, oops, sorry. I moved forward accidentally. Um, this would be the Helcaraxa up over here. Um, so I like this. I mean, it is, as I recall, the, I mean, it's, it, it, it keeps a bunch of the geography from, uh, from Tolkien sketches. Uh, of course, Tolkien sketched Amon several times, but, um, I, uh, Marie, I, I can't, could you email me that link, Marie, actually? Um, that would be, that would be handy. My, I, I it's not, I, I'm, I'm not being allowed to click it. So, um, anyway, uh, but so yeah, I would love to look at this in more detail, but again, it's, it's, I can't, uh, I can't see it. So unless I can get a, I can, unless I can get a new one here, um, Oh, okay, it is. Yeah, so if, yeah, Marie, email it to me quick, and I'll 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 call it up so that we can see the names. Um, in the meantime, we'll move forward, and then we'll come back to that. So this is uh, the map of Tyrion upon Tuna. Of course, the 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 biggest feature um, is the 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 tower, um, which uh, you know is going to be like the the sort of lighthouse tower, right? Um, uh, I agree that it should not have walls until after the banishment of Feanor. Um, the idea of having the tower be kind of like, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, being a, like a, a minaret lighthouse. I, I, I like that. That definitely, uh, seems to me to work. Let me see. Hang on here. Okay. Aha. Here we go. Hang on. Still wish I could zoom in further. I can at least read them now. Here's the enchanted, uh, the shadowy seas, and the enchanted isles. Um, hang on a second. Let me let me see if I can. I can't download it, so I can zoom in. Hmm. 
Oh, I think it's the best I'm going to be able to do. Um, yeah. So hard to read, but at least it's resolved. Um, yes, okay. So this is Valmar right here next to that lake. And Tyrion. And Formanos just up to the north there. Okay, right here's Alcalanda and Toloresia, as I thought. Okay. Cool. Well, and I like the fact that we have, you know, the 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 places of um, the different Valar kind of spread around throughout the the continent here. Right, pastors of Yavanna, out here. Right, Lorien is way over here on the on the west coast. This presumably is uh, Nienna, right on the very uh, tip of the you know the apex of the the triangle there. Okay. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, uh, uh, Bree Melvin was saying this would be a good time to bring up my scale reference map of Arda. Uh, yes, it would. It would, Bree, um, uh, to give some uh, to give some proportions here. But yeah, Valinor's huge. Amon is very, very large. Aren't the regions of Mandos up there? Okay, cool. Cool. Neat. So yeah, I mean, I, I love this map. I think this is... I, I I think this is great. I think that that generally works really well. Um, anyway, but sorry, back to Tyrion uh, upon Tuna here. Um, so this is a sketch of the city. I like this idea of not having the tower at the center. So this, if I'm understanding this map properly, uh, looking at so we've got a side version and a top version of the map, and uh, the 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 city is kind of terrace. It's it's on the hill and it's sort of in 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 concentric terraces which is a very sensible way to build a city that's on top of a steep hill. Um, uh, the, the, the concentric terraces are, are not centered in the middle. The, 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 the central point of the concentric circles is sort of halfway to the left of center. Um, but the tower itself is not the thing that's at the center and that's I think what I like most about it. So we have this sort of central square which would be the which would be the seat of the king, right? That's where that would be where, where Finway would be ruling from. Um, but the uh the, the 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 high tower is actually at the, the far you know the far right hand side on the um you know on the eastern edge of the city. You know, so that rises up separately from the overall terraced rising of, of the city. I think that's a really that's a really cool concept. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Um, all right. So this is uh, uh, Teniquital. That is to say, the uh, the 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 settlement city on top of, or not on top of, but uh, uh, up on. To um, That is, this is the place that the Vanyar are going to move to when they move out of Tyrion uh, and go to live up at the courts of Manwë. Um, and the idea here is uh, the the sort of model uh, that was suggested was the Church of the Twelve Apostles in Thessaloniki or the New College Cloister in Oxford. These are the two pictures that we have. Um, I do really like the idea. So th- they want there to be blue domes. 
and lots of like stone cloisters and things. The idea of cloisters is perfect. I mean, we've been talking about a kind of monastic feel for the Vanyar anyway, and I really, I really like that. The idea that this would look more like a sort of a monastery or not a cathedral exactly, but um, uh, at least not a sort of vertical cathedral, right? Um, but um, yeah, Nick, I agree. More open. It shouldn't. It shouldn't have. Uh, um, it shouldn't give the impression of a walled compound when you're looking at it. It should be very open, um, you know, like a much more sort of inviting. Um, but uh, but I do really like uh, uh, I do really like the the whole idea of um, of the of cloisters, like a whole bunch of series of cloisters that seems to me to work really well. And then I think we even have a map of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't, uh, I can't follow all the, all the sketches. Um, but, uh, but I like the, uh, the, what we're getting is this sort of flat area just below the snow line on Tiniquitil. So again, it's not up on the top connected to Ilmarin by a winding stair, um, uh, so this idea of this sort of flat terrace on the edge of the mountain and uh, and having the having you know the the halls of of, of Ingwe there um, is really neat. So yeah, you've got this uh, a structure with a dome set on a plateau overlooking the sea from the west. Um, it would look down on. I mean, you should be able to have a really good view of Tyrion from there as well. So you can see. Um, that would be a wonderful shot to be able to show the, you know, sort of from the top, the, the view of the halls of the Vanyar and then down on the hill in the Calakiria, you know, in the Calakiria is Tyrion, right? The city of the Noldor, the radiant, gorgeous city of the Noldor. And then further down in the valley, you can see Alqualande down in the bay uh, on the beaches. I think that would be really, really neat. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, this is, I think, so we can see, this is the, the Tower of Tyrion, uh, uh, sticking out, and then you'd, you'd climb up and you have Ilmarin, uh, up on the top there. Cool, neat sketches. And this is his map of Valmar. My favorite thing about the map of Valmar here is the proportions with the trees, right? I love the idea that the, the hill of Azelohar is very large and the trees are enormous, right? Because they are casting light for a long ways around. Um, uh, proportion seems, sort of, seems sort of necessary when you, <laughs> if you stop to think about it. Yeah, exactly. The hill of Azelohar should be high. Uh, you know, the, 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 the hill on which the trees are uh, should be high, and yeah, they've got to be very large and with a huge canopy. Absolutely. The gardens of Vana right next to them. Um, the Mahanaxar, the Ring of Doom, right there between the gates of Valmar, you know, the western gate of Valmar, uh, and the trees. Um, yeah, I think this is this is this is. Uh, this is some really some really neat stuff here. We've got lots of uh, of gardens and fields around. Remember, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know 
a description of the the sort of the rich and fertile fields around Valmar as uh, Melkor is and Ungoliant are running down towards it to wreck it. But uh, yeah, yeah, very cool. So again, this is another one of those things. Uh, I find a lot of these visuals really, really helpful. Um, and when I'm looking at them, one of the main things I find is it sort of uncovers a lot of the sort of imaginative, imaginative assumptions I've always made. You know, like you kind of catch yourself. You know, I sort of realize, like I, I realize I'd never really thought about the trees being like really gigantic. You know, in my eye, I'd, I'd always imagined trees that were beautiful, but not necessarily, um, not not necessarily huge. Um, yeah. Um, okay. And this is just a sketch, his sketch of, uh, of Valmar. Cool. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's flat. It's on the plains on the inside of the Pilori. I agree with it, with the mountains rising up behind them. Cool. Cool. I like it. I do too. Formanos. Now, uh, the uh, the models here for Formanos are either Masada or a, a, a Swiss mountain castle. Um, I, um, I I I absolutely agree. I mean, I, Formanos absolutely must be a fortress um, and designed for defense, uh, even paranoid defense. I'm not sure. I would go all the way to Masada for it. Um, that is to say, like a you know that kind of a you know impregnable uh, rocky uh, promontory, uh, kind of you know jutting out the way the Masada does. The idea of more like a castle on a on a mountaintop um, that he would go that he would pick somewhere both like stark, rugged, and inaccessible, um, be, and build. And build something on top of it. I think that's what I. Uh, the reason, the other reason I, I don't like Masada all that much is that the majority of the uh, defensiveness of um, the, the defensibility of Masada is essentially due to its own natural placement, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's nature, not artifice, that makes Masada <laughs> impregnable. Um, and I, that's I, with Feanor, I don't feel like that would work quite as well. Um, I like the idea of him choosing a highly defensible position and then building a really strong fortress on that highly defensible position. Um, again, sort of showcasing his own design and artifice rather than merely the natural fortifications. Because again, remember, if you're thinking like Feanor, to choose a place whose defenses are due entirely to the natural formations of the rocks is essentially to say, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to crib on Elway's work rather than doing my own, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, it's almost like I'm going to trust the Valar, the, the Valar to protect me rather than protecting myself. I mean, I would think that the sort of independent, I am uh, uh, distancing myself from the Valar thing would really, um, would lead Feanor to make a, a, a fortification, which really depends primarily on his own, const- uh, his own, uh, construction and his own design rather than on uh, mere natural fortification. So, anyway, I, I uh, um, uh, 
I'm not saying it shouldn't be highly defensible. It's just the kind of defenses. I would want it to be uh, on a really good position, but foregrounding the architectural design, uh, defense design, the walls and gates and things, rather than um, merely we are living on top of a cliff that you couldn't get up anyway, so we don't even have to bother with defenses, <laughs> you know, with walls, basically. That's that's the main point I'm making. Do you see what I'm saying there? Does that make sense? Seems reasonable. All right. Okay. Um, and I've been talking, but I've been muted. Oh, dear. Which okay. could be a blessing, actually. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it doesn't... Doesn't seem like, yeah. I think I agree with you. I don't think he would have gone all the way to Masada because I, I mean, he would definitely make a place that would be. I mean, how how fortified do we want him to look? Because because I think at least when they initially build this place, they're not yet going to be. I don't think they're expecting a, a siege yet. Well, but I think, I think it should be an unspoken statement. Like he's not yet declared war on the Valar. But he mm-hmm. is paranoid, um, so I think that the the defensiveness, the the defensibility of Formanos should be a statement to Feanor's uh, a statement of Feanor's um, uh, uh, state of mind, right? Um, and uh, that that makes that makes sense. But yeah. what's his frame of reference for how to make <laughs> how to make a, a place defensible? Well, you know, his own genius. You know, his own. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're right. Truly, he wouldn't be like, well, I think I'll do it in the uh, in the Northern European style, you know. But um, um, but yeah, you know, uh, walls and um, yes, yeah, so it, it should show his paranoia. Like, I am assuming that somebody might come and attack me. I've not yet declared war, but you know, I can't trust those people, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wall myself in. Um, I think that 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 would. That does seem to me to reflect. The other thing I like about the idea of choosing a um, uh, uh, a Swiss place, as is suggested here, um, is here I like the snowy mountains in the background um, because it is up in the north. There would be there would be snowy peaks, and the the sort of the hint of the um, anticipation of the Helcaraxa I kind of like. You know, to have this sort of icy uh, uh, wilderness in the background. Of course, you go. You know, if you continue past Formanos and head up to the north, uh, you know you are going to get up into the uh, in, into the colder terrains. Um, and just thinking of the what the Helcaraxa is going to mean later on, um, you know, uh, his flight to Formanos and his fording up at Formanos uh, is a, a, a nice like precursor to the situation that's going to arise at the, at the Helcaraxa later on, I think. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, it, Tony Mead is also suggesting we could also be sort of showing, uh, uh, Feanor's ego in its scale. Yeah. I'm one, I wonder, Tony, I, it's, I mean, I agree. It's got to be, I mean, if Feanor made it right, it's got to be worthy of Feanor. So we, we do need to make it, 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 it does need to have a certain attitude. Um, it can't look humble, obviously, is the main thing. Um, but I'm not sure how huge Formanos needs to be, uh, necessarily, because it's, 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 it's not a palace, right? It's a fortress. Um, and indeed, a lot of it can be underground. It can be, um, 
uh, it can be like, I mean, his vaults and, uh, and treasuries and things could be, you know, deep inside the mountain and stuff. Um, yeah. The other thing that I think of when he said that is also, you know, the fact that who was I talking to about this the other day? The fact that we don't see how to take Middle Ages, for example, castles mm-hmm. as an example. They were not gray stone. They were painted and they were colorful and they were ornate. And I'm wondering if Formanos should be something of that ilk as well. You know, white or ornate. I mean, I don't remember if Tolkien ever said anything about that, but it just seems like Fanor would want something kind of glitzy, blingy. Well, I think it's gonna be... Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be gorgeous. I mean, it's... It's, it's who the Noldor are, you know? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, we, it's, talk, it's, we had talked about that in terms of yeah. how they dress. I would think that would also follow through in terms of the buildings, you know what I mean? Yeah, but at the same time, I wouldn't want it to be too privy. Like, you shouldn't look at Formanos. Formanos should be imposing rather than pretty. Tyrion can be pretty, right? Mm. Tyrion mm-hmm. can be gorgeous. Formanos should be beautiful, but not gorgeous, if you see what I mean. Again, not, <laughs> um, not, not, uh, not, not, not sparkling, you know, not, um, Again, Not imposing. A jewel. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I wouldn't. I mean, would it be bejeweled? Tony was just asking. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, because I was thinking about you know, like the fort, like the fortifications in the UK. The one that strikes me in my mind is Stirling Castle, only because this is where the the idea first came up. But you know, Stirling mm-hmm. Castle in Scotland is up on a hill, as are many yeah. inland castles, right? Yeah. And, you know, the guy was telling us, I mean, they whitewashed the walls and colored, you know, it was like painted in color so that you could see it from a distance. You know, it wasn't necessarily ornate, but it was like this white castle on the distance, which was kind of imposing, you know, that kind of, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking of like glitzy right. necessarily, but but that kind of thing, you know, where you could see it from a distance and it would shine kind of on the hilltop sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I could see well. I could see that, but wait a second. Maybe not. Uh, on the one hand, I don't think he needs to be hiding. You know, I don't think that we need to be like. And Formino should be difficult even to spot. He's not trying to hide himself. I would say, um, but again, I'm thinking of Formanos as a vis as a visible expression of Feanor's frame of mind at this point, and. His frame of mind is, I'm not going to show the Silmarils to anybody. I'm going to keep them to myself and let no one but, you know, me and my son see them. Right? Um, so what if Formanos were quite plain on the outside, but beautiful on the inside? A couple people were... Nick was just suggesting this. Um, and, uh, really, would uh, Feanor's ego really allow that? I just... Because I'm just thinking of his ego, you know, but... I mean, I'm easy. It's fine. But, but see, I, I just... but with his ego, though, I think his ego would be satisfied by it's looking intimidating. I think that's the impression he wants ah, to make. Ah, okay. Right? All right? Is like, he would want you to, like, so that the, the, the experience yeah. you should have as you're walking up to Formanos should be, right. don't mess with me. You don't even right. want to mess with me. Right. Don't even think it, Buster, should be what uh, is you're feeling as you're approaching it. Um, and only on the inside is it really beautiful um yeah yeah um 
Now, Maria is, of course, reminding us that Finway is very much involved in its construction. And I agree. I mean, so I guess, Marie, you're right. But I'm wondering. I'm wondering how we manifest that. I'm wondering if maybe Finway... Well, I mean, really, Marie, it brings up the bigger question, right? Of how much is how much is Finway going to be influencing Feanor at this point? You know, is he going along with Feanor? Is he letting Feanor have his own way? How much how much say really does he have? How much influence uh, is he retaining um, over uh, over Feanor at this point? I would think that he could influence it, but. Uh, I don't think he would... He's not going to alter, I think, Fanor's fundamental convictions. Yeah, now Maria's pointing out that, of course, Finway is the one who's basically built Tyrion and Alqualonde. Um, yeah. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, Maria, you're right in the sense that one could argue and say Feanor is more focused on the decorative stuff and, and leaves the architecture to Finway, um, and that therefore the architecture of Formanos should reflect Finway more than Feanor. That totally makes sense to me, but thematically I don't feel like that works. I mean, I think Formanos is going to be associated with Feanor, and I think it needs to be, in, in as much as the visuals of Formanos are giving are giving thematic cues to the viewers. It's got to be cues towards Fanor, really, more than towards, more than towards, uh, towards Finway. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay, let's, let's, let's keep going. Okay, look at some uh, sketches of Formanos by Haringil, our cartographer here. Uh, oh, I like the idea of the... If the central fortress of Formanos can look like a Feanorian star from the, from, from the air, that would be really pretty awesome. I love this idea. Okay, again, he's got a, he's got a sort of uh, you know, jutting plateau, or not really a plateau. It's a, it's a, it's a, a hill under the shelter of higher mountains behind, and uh, you know this this walled city and terraces up the side of the hill. Yeah, many layers of walls so that you can't even approach the walls. Yeah, that I would definitely think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something more elaborate like this, Nick. That's my vote, too. This is a little too stark. Um, but, yeah, the combination of of the... Uh, uh, yeah, the... The, um, the greater design from the top, I think, would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Robert says it looks like a star fort. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that would be that would be a cool thing. Now, obviously, you know, star forts are designed for, uh, like, shooting angles, you know, for cannon and things like that. And obviously that's not what we're, uh, 
it's not what we're going to be going for exactly. But yeah, that kind of an uh, of a uh, of a design concept would be uh, uh, would be would be cool. Um, yeah, cool, nice. All right, Izelohar. So um, we have a picture of Silbury Hill here, um, and this is uh, I don't know if this is an artificial hill, um, but the Izelohar, this is the mound upon which the trees sit. And uh, I think it would be, um, uh, I think that it would be for it to look really like an artificial mound, basically. You know, it should rise very steeply. I, I do, I do agree with this sort of, this is a, well, it's not exactly conical. I think it could be even steeper. Um, but really sort of looking like it's been it's been raised up. Yeah, Tony, I, I mean I could tell this is artificial. That's what I'm uh, that's what I'm thinking. Um to sort of see this is just a, this is not just like a large hill in a naturally hilly region, but rising up with this kind of abruptness uh to sort of show um because the whole idea of a Zelohar, right, is that it's like um the trees being placed upon Azelohar is kind of like, you know, putting a candle up on a candlestick, right? Uh, so that it can light further around. Um, and you want the trees to be standing up further above. We don't... Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, that kind of a, of, of a really abrupt, uh, even artificial hill, I think is uh, is nice, and I, I agree, Tony. This is a little too small. I would want it to be higher than that. Um, uh, Tony Mead is suggesting Glastonbury Tor, and I like Glastonbury Tor. My only objection to Glastonbury Tor is that there are other tours around it. <laughs> you know, um, it's in a hilly region, and again, I like the idea of it being, uh, you know, seeing the plain behind it. You know, the the the, the sort of the fertile plain, and then the. Uh, uh, the the hill just sort of rising suddenly because it will have been raised by the Valar for no other reason than to put the trees up on top of it. But that's really cool. Again, I love this exercise so much. I don't think I ever once actually dedicated an, uh, a, a speck of my own brain to picturing what a Zelohar looks like. But as soon as you ask the question and put a picture, I'm like, yeah, okay, right? I I I I, I can think that through, and it's really fun. Gosh, it's kind of the whole point of film film. So, all right, now the trees themselves. So here Maria has given us the description of the trees. They're described in quite a bit of detail. Um, and uh, uh, these are the two. Both of them are compared to two different trees. Um, so the description of Telperion. Dark green leaves had the one, and that, beneath, that were beneath were as silver shining, and he bore white blossoms like the cherry, from which a dew of silver light was ever falling, and earth was dappled with the dark and dancing shadows of his leaves amid the pools of gleaming radiance. Um, so the uh, the two trees we have pictures of down here are uh, a silver linden tree and uh, a cherry tree, a very large cherry tree in blossom. Um, so... Yeah, clearly, I love the uh, the silver linden um, uh, <clears throat> as the shape. Um, the silver linden has this uh, this really broad conical shape, um, uh, which is which is really nice. And of course, I really like the idea of using the linden tree um, because 
Yeah, and Marie, I was, I was, I was going to confirm that. I was pretty sure that that there, it's where this was. The text that she's using here is the uh, the from the shaping of Middle Earth from the description uh, of the um, uh, Marie. If I remember correctly, this is the the description of them in the Quenta Nolderinwa, the 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 1930 Quenta, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway. Um, but I love the idea of using the linden tree because the linden tree is used in, in, in metaphors and similes several times. Um, so, uh, 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 and uh, this is a really great, a really great shape. Um, so imagine this, this big conical green tree on the left, uh, but covered with uh, blossoms like cherry blossoms, which are glowing silver. And that image of the... Uh, uh, of the dew of silver light ever kind of like, sort of like the, the light dripping down and dappling the ground underneath is really neat. Um, yeah. Marie points out that the linden tree is one, is one that has the pale undersides of its leaves as he's describing there. Um, so that, you know, when the wind rustles the branches of Telperion, it not only sort of blows the blossoms and I'm imagining, you know, like the, like, like the drifting cherry petals coming off of the tree to imagine like the, the sort of wisps of silver light coming off the tree, like the, like the, like the blossom petals do in spring. Um, but, but then also having the, the, the shimmering of the silver undersides of the leaves as well. So even if it didn't have blossoms, it would be shimmering uh, in the breeze. Uh, I, th- I think that's really cool. Um, now, Laurelin, this is again from the, uh, from, I, I believe from the 1930 Quenta. Leaves of young green like the new opened beech, the other bore. Their edges were of glittering gold. Yellow flowers swung upon her boughs like the hanging blossoms of the merry trees men now call golden rain, and from those flowers there came forth warmth and a great light. Um, so the uh, the the uh, laburnum is the blossoms that he's talking about. So we have the two images: the one of uh, of a of a newly uh, opened beech. Um, so you can see the really bright uh, green of the beech leaves. And then the uh, the the dangling uh, 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 trails of blossoms, yellow blossoms of the laburnum. Uh, and I have to admit, until I read this in the Quinta, I had never pictured Laurelin like this. Um, of course, I don't think I had ever pictured the trees in anything like the kind of detail that Tolkien obviously did with his love of trees. Um, but I had never imagined Laurelin to be with these sort of trailing blossoms hanging down like this um but uh uh but this is this is the the image we have is of this path with laburnums on either side and so this solid canopy of of uh you know the uh the 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 yellow blossoms hanging down which is amazing um yeah yeah marie points out that uh, american beaches have a, a smooth silver bark this uh, image that we have is of a european beach uh, which is much, which is much darker. My only question is whether we would actually want to have the lighter bark. That is to say, do we want? Um, how directly would we want Malorn trees to be recalling Laurelin? Um, you know, with the with the gold of the Malorn trees, um, there's sort of the obvious connection there. 
Um, so having the having 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 the the um, you know the the bowl of of Laurelin be actually uh, silver, even silver to white. Um, so that it again, it, well, I was going to say it looks like a Malorn tree, but no, the Malorn trees would look like would look like she did. Um, would be the uh, uh, the way I think that would be. I like the idea. Um, you, so you're saying you asked the question, and now you've expressed. So your opinion, your your question was, how directly do we want the Malorns to reference Laurelin? And your 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 feeling is, is you think lot. they should. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I. My, the one objection I was going to raise is, um, was, was that, that, you know, in some sense we're working backwards, right? right? Where, where right. we, we can kind of presume that most people who might watch this would have already watched the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson things. And so, so you, you kind of, you sort of, it's sort of inevitable, even when people read this, I guess, they tend mm-hmm. to, to interpret the Silmarillion in terms of the Lord of the Rings, right? right. Like, oh, look. To say to, 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 to be concrete, they would say something like, "Wow, Laurelin looks like a Malorn tree," when right. when in fact we want the opposite effect. But let's be honest; I don't think I think most the majority of people probably didn't pay that close of attention to what the trees look like in, in the actual movies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And well, and 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 as we're saying, even these descriptions that are here, it, it's not even in the published Silmarillion. I mean, he 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 gives us some information about how they look. Um, but these mm-hmm. are far more detailed descriptions um, yeah. that we're getting in uh, yeah. uh, in the nineteen thirty Quinta. So I think I think we definitely we want them to we want the the Malorns to recall. Well, it seems seems like that would be the way it would work, right? Yeah. Given what yeah. we know about elves as being preservers of memory. And- exactly. Exactly. It's really hard to imagine that that's a you know that they would be. Now, the the one other possibility, of course, is that you could say that the Malorns are, are like a memory of both trees. So, you know, the 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 we could have Telperion be the one that has the really white trunk, right? Um, you know, so you have like the the white of Telperion's trunk with the gold of of Laurelin's uh, 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 blooms, uh, you know, recalling. Laurelin's blooms. That is, that would be another way to do it. Um, but yeah, exactly, uh, Dave. That's precisely what I was thinking. You know that it's not going. It's not just going to be when they do the Malorn trees. It's not just going to be because we think it's pretty, right? It's going to be in memory of <laughs> of the trees, right? It almost has yep. to be. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. So we have uh, 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 Marie has sort of reminded us as of. Um, uh, of the uh, t- telling time in Valinor uh, about ha- th- how you have the different uh, waxing and waning of the trees. Uh, so imagining uh, different um, different lighting schemes and even just sort of showing, you know, seeing the trees in the background, having the sky glowing in different ways um, and to be recalling that this is, this is uh, going to be reflecting the, the, the times of day. Um, we will have uh, much twilight in Valinor, um, but little actual darkness. So, anyway. Um, cool. All right. Keep continuing on. Thangaradrim. Uh, so we have these uh, series of three volcanoes uh, in these pictures here. Um
Hmm. Certainly, yes. I mean, the main thing, thinking of, uh, of volcanoes, the mountains of, you know, the uh, uh, Thangorodrim, the great thing about volcanic peaks of this kind is that they are um, the way that, you know, sort of the suddenness which with, with which they are sort of thrust up from the plains, that's really good. What I'm trying to think of is, do we want to show anything like active volcanic action in Thangarodrum? I mean, on the one hand, like, ash and smoke belching forth from this to make a shadowy cloud that covers the land about is kind of Thangarodrum-ish, right? <laughs> uh, no question. Um and I know, uh, Nick, you're right, we don't have this yet, right, but um, we, we, we do need to, yeah, you're right, we need to have that set up from, from Angband, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I'm thinking, this, the, the one on the left I'm, is making me pause, because I don't know that we necessarily want lava coming down. At least not until the Battle of Sudden Flame, but I guess yeah, there 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 does need to be volcanic activity, uh, so that we can we can do the Battle of Sudden Flame. Um, but th- th- it shouldn't be it shouldn't just be an active volcano. I mean, this is they they're like living inside this volcano, you know, this these these mountains. But certainly, I kind of like the fact that it should look like a volcano, right? The idea of it, you know, sort of looking at it and thinking and feeling like this thing could erupt at any time is, uh, um, perfect. You know, uh, of course that's exactly what Thangarodrum should be like. Not just should look like, but should be like. Yeah. These are great. Okay. I, I, I love this. So we've got a suggestion for the inside of Angband. Um, does anybody recognize what this is actually an image of? I have to admit that I, I, uh, I, I cheated. I, I, I'm kind of cheating because I did my master's thesis on it. But uh, yeah, this is Dante's Inferno. Exactly, this is hell. Uh, in fact, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know you can see at the bottom, you know, centro della terra. You know, it's the center of the earth uh, down there at the bottom. You know, where uh, where you can find Satan's groin. Um, uh, um, I love the idea that I like the idea that Balrogs are eclectic architects. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, they they would be rather uneven, I would think, in their architecture. Um, yeah, I, but exactly, Marie is of course pointing out that Angband, of course, means uh, the hells of iron. So no, I love it. I love the idea. Um, so the idea is that Angband is chiefly is chiefly is 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 essentially subterranean, you know, not a, uh, uh, not a, a structure built on, t- which of course fits with Thangarodrim as we, uh, as we see it, you know, the, with the, the gates of Angband, um, with the mountains rising up above them. Um, I don't know how to make it look like Dante's Inferno though, because the problem with Dante's Inferno is that it's essentially a crater, um, in fact, it's literally a crater. In, in Dante, it's literally a crater. Uh, it is, in fact, the crater that is formed 
when Satan falls from heaven and he hits the earth and the crater for the crater of hell forms around him. That's why Satan is lodged, you know, to the chest in the bottom of the ninth circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. Um, and um, though Dante has a wonderful conceit when he describes this, right? The crater that's formed when uh, Satan is not the is not what you would think. It's not the concussion uh, that forces the crater when Satan hits the earth. Rather, the the uh, the the impression of hell is formed as when Satan falls and approaches the earth, the surface of the earth shrinks away from him. And that's what makes the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the crater of hell rather than like, it's not an impact crater. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, 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 and of course I get, you guys aren't suggesting we actually literally copy, you know, Inferno, you know, including all of its different, uh, you know, regions and stuff like that. Obviously not, but I love the idea of it sort of, recalling uh Dante's Inferno I think it's I think I think it's a it's a lovely lovely idea I can imagine Baron and Luthien someday working their way down from one terrace to another um you know so the idea of instead of having it be um like you would normally associate with a stronghold right of like going up in concentric circles um you know through one terrace and set of walls to another inner terrace and set of walls instead of doing that you're going down instead of going up love that idea and you know to 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 have it be set up like uh uh like like dante for that um uh um Yes, and Tony exactly at the center is where Morgoth uh, can be sort of, you know, uh, sort of hiding, sort of cringing uh, down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly, Tom Hillman says, uh, farther down and further in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite of, uh, of, uh, of, of Aslan's country. Um, going down, down to the roots of the mountain. Um, the biggest the biggest visual sort of conceptual problem I have with it is imagining it underneath a mountain. You know, you can't have a big, huge, like the, the topmost terrace would have to be, you know, it's sort of a really huge open space. And like, how are you going to fit that inside the mountain without undermining the mountain? But, um, uh, but I'm sure y'all can work this out. You know, I will, I will, uh, I've been, uh, uh, Brie, I know you, uh, uh, and, uh, David, Delagardel were chiding me for this on Twitter a while back of uh, uh, insufficiently trusting the visual artists, you know, saying that doing it this way will definitely look dumb when, of course, like a really good artist can make it not look dumb. So I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I'm willing to leave that to you. Um, but uh, yeah, I like it. So let's see. Wait, Nick, uh, Nick's suggestion. Um, it could be like a volcanic crater, but I would rather it not be open. It's got to be all dark. It's got to be, the whole thing has to be indoors. So it can't just be like the, the, the actual volcanic crater at the top. Um, I mean, there's a kind of appeal to that, I will admit. But I don't want it to be, to be, to be open and revealed. Um, it's, it's, de- yeah, it's definitely got to be, got to be roofed over. And I would even really like it to be down deep underneath um 
you should have to travel down a good ways before you even get to the first terrace. I'm kind of thinking. Um, like a missile silo, says Nick. Kinda, you know, not 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 shaped like a missile silo, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the uh, the having uh, having Angman kind of feel like a bunker is is fine. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like that mentality because um, remember, it gets missed. Right. One of the points is after the, you know, after the war at the end of season one, Utumno is destroyed, but Angban gets overlooked. So. So, yeah, like a bunker fortress is kind of appropriate for it. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. Love it. So anyway, I just loved this concept, the idea of, uh, of using Dante's Inferno. Uh, uh, images for Sauron's lab. Um, uh so this is Marielle's suggestion uh, uh, that we take, you know, she says, re- re- remember the cloth covered statues in the day of the doctor uh, special for Doctor Who. Uh, take that idea with maybe black or red silk, but make the shapes underneath more twisted and distorted and unsettling. We need never take the silk off, but for a few of those scattered without, uh, but a few of those scattered without explanation in his lab would be really creepy. Totally agree. Um, so what we have here in the image, we've got this, um, uh, you know, it's really sort of a sort of a, a, a wooden. It's really hard to describe wooden chapel with this table in the middle, uh, and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, seating and sort of terraces around the side, and uh, statues and niches in the walls. Um, the idea of that in black granite that would look really creepy. As this sort of the thing that's that's really creepy about it is that it's like it's half, uh, you know. It would be like sort of half laboratory and half observational theater, you know. That's the thing that to yeah, me like is most creepy that was about a, it. Like a nineteenth-century operating or a yes. you know yes yes observation <clears throat> theater. He'll have his he'll have his cronies sitting up in the um in, in the, the, the 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 observation the boxes. Deck. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you would think that. Tavildo would have a spot where he would really like yeah. to, to be watching. He'll be, he'll be asking his assistant to hand him the forceps. <laughs> and, he's, and he's dictating, he's explaining it, you know, he's, he's doing like a monologue throughout explaining what he's doing. Yeah, okay. exactly. Exactly, yep, yep. Pull back the abdominal cavity. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, this is where he'd be doing his experiments with uh the uh the bodies and souls of of uh of creatures, you know, with the werewolves and uh with the elves. Um I just really like the idea of Sauron having a lab. Yeah. I agree. Uh Maria's saying that one of the points of the image is to show that it's, you know, clean, neat and well lit, not ugly and dirty, not like some like ugly dirty mad scientist lab in a cave or something like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It should be, it should be, uh, it should be neat, well-structured, um, and, uh, and even ornate. I mean, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, an LA guy, you know, he's going to be a builder and a maker. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. All right, so now we come to creature design. Are you ready, Dave? Yes. Now we come to the spider pictures. All right, so 
We begin with Ungoliant. So, <laughs> one of the Ungoliant issues is how to reconcile the physical spider that we show on screen with the description of the actions that the spider takes uh, according to the, um, the prose. And one of the things, one of the words that is used is beak. So she, she needs to be able to set her beak uh, to the uh, uh, to the wound that is made, so uh, Melkor stabs the tree with a spear, and she sets her beak to it and sucks it dry. Um, so this is a camel spider, <clears throat> which has uh, which whose mouth is is really quite creepily beak like. That's really kind of perfect. The point is not that we would make Ungoliant look just like that, but we kind of take the mouth of this spider and put it on a different spider. Um, and yes, that's, um, so does this, does this spider, okay, it's not actually a spider, but anyway, does it, does it, that's just for clamping, right? It doesn't actually inject venom with that, with those, those, those aren't actually fangs, but just Yeah, I think that's right. They're they're just like mandibles. They look, they, they look like more, more like mandibles than, than like fangs. Yeah, I think I, I, was, I was briefly doing some reading about this creature because uh, it's kind of fascinating. It's apparently it's sort of not a scorpion, not a spider, sort of halfway between. But right. I, um, from what I was reading, apparently the pri- like one of the primary uses of its uh, beak is mostly to make sounds. Really? Yeah. What kind of sounds? Clicking sounds? Yeah. Uh, uh, let, me, let me dig it up. Horrible, like, clicking and clacking sounds with its beak. Yeah, let me me dig it up. Oh, here we go. Um, In many species also, or, okay, so the, I don't know how to pronounce this, C-H-E-L-I-C-E-R-A-E, chelicere, Mm -hmm. that's kind of basically the jaws. Yeah. Uh, Serve as jaws, and in many species are also used for stridulation, (laughs) which is... Producing sound by rubbing together certain body parts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Hakan says, well, that'll go straight to the nightmare factory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Brianna Melvin says, and half the audience has just minimized the video for this portion of the of the podcast. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently, these things are absolutely have not at all deadly for humans. Just for the record, they're right. pretty pretty scary looking, but they're actually not. They're, so. And quite small. So uh, take whatever yeah. comfort you can from that. <laughs> okay, there we are. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. So um, and it, does it? Uh, huh. Okay. They don't actually like make a sound. Like they don't actually screech or something, do they? No, Ungoliant could screech. She's got to talk anyhow, so you know. Um. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sold on the mouth of the camel spider. No question. That is especially with the hair. I mean, man, so nasty. Okay. But then we need uh, the other uh, thing that Ungoliant needs is a swollen abdomen. She needs a, a vast, bloated bag of a belly. Um, 
Uh, so uh, we, the suggestion is that the, si- the size contrast between the cephalothorax and abdomen of the female black widow spider is helpful. So you've got the, you know, the, the cephalothorax means, of course, the, the head and thorax, uh, and then the abdomen. So the, that, that huge ball you know, of the abdomen of a female black widow. Um, uh, and we also have the, uh, the famous John Howe image of uh, ungoliant uh, drinking from the from the trees, um, yeah. Of course, the the legs of the black widow are are too delicate. Also, I wouldn't want the the abdomen of Ungoliant to be too like the 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 one thing about the black widow, which like the red marking is always like really scary. But um, the it's a little too neat and shiny. The abdomen, I would want it to yeah. be a little bit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I would go full like skull markings like uh, 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 John Howe gave to, to, to Ungoliant here, but more of the, the the sort of rough and nasty carapace rather than. Um, um, uh, oh, wait, camel spiders screech. Yikes. Yeah. Um, Wow. Is that sounding like there's more and more stuff that we'll, we can leverage. For, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, right. We, we're, we're agreed on not the delicate legs of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the black widow, but, uh, uh, and, and, and it's got to have, uh, um, she's got, as Karita says, the black widow is kind of dainty and pretty, which is true. Um, it can't be, she can't be pretty. Um, but yes, the huge swollen bag of her abdomen, uh, can stick out like that. Um, okay. Now, uh, the, for the actual body type, we have the suggestion of the Sydney funnel web. Um, now this looks like Peter Jackson's Shelob. Am I wrong about that? Is this the, is this the, the sort of inspiration yeah. for Peter Jackson's Shelob? It looks a lot like Shelob. Um, that's the only thing I don't like about this, is that it looks a lot like Shelob. Um, and I wouldn't want it to look too much like... Uh, it is the, the inspiration of Peter Jackson. That's what I was pretty sure. I, was, it, it, uh, I didn't know that, but I deduced that from looking at this spider. Um, we've got uh, baboon spiders from Africa. Enormous hairy tarantulas. So cute. That's my problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, big hairy spiders, when you see big hairy spiders in person, are kind of intimidating. Um, but th- the problem I have with hairy spiders, with, with a hairy spider for Ungoliant, is that hairy spiders can look cute. And, f- like, you wouldn't want anybody to apply the adjective fuzzy to Ungoliant, right? That just can't, that can't possibly work. Uh, from no angle can Ungoliant look fuzzy. But if you make a giant hairy spider, the hairs become more like spines, and that's, you know, you don't want it to look like a sea urchin either, you know? So um, uh, uh, there are several people, uh, Trish, who are politely differing from I you. With I the know, I think arachnophobia is silly. I don't, I, I like spiders. Maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, several people are. <clears throat> uh, I know. 
uh, cordially disagreeing with you. That's yeah. good. Then, then, then if all the um, whenever a, an exec needs to show up at the creature design meetings, <laughs> I can do it. I Corey and I'll be spiders or snakes. Yeah, we'll be convenient. Corey and I'll be conveniently otherwise disposed. Right. I'll have to take pictures of some of the big spiders that show up around my place. And when I see them, I'm I go get your job done. Kill the kill, insects. I don't kill the like. bugs. Yeah, go, exactly. Go. <laughs> that's, that's the that's the other reason I don't like killing spiders. I I, I like yeah, mosquitoes yeah. even less. Though that's you know right. where I live, the uh, the mosquitoes are really the remit of the frogs rather than the remit of the spiders primarily. But anyway, okay, um, wolf spiders now. This center one, see, like this one kind of wrecks it because this is a wolf spider with all of her live young on her back, which is adorable, again, in its really horrifyingly creepy way. Um, uh, I think the um, this one here in the middle, this big black wolf spider, that's more like the thing, I'm thinking. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, um, again, uh, the thing that I like about this is that it's a, it's a large and hairy spider without being fuzzy. It's the fuzziness that I object to with the tarantula look for, for, for Ungoliant. Um, yeah, um, and I, I like the eyes of the wolf spider. Here you can see the bank of eyes where it's got the two larger but not enormously bulbous eyes. The reason I like this is that this looks just like the description of Shelob's eyes. Um, and, uh, of course, this is Shelob's mom we're talking about. So she needs to have very visible eyes. Um, and looking back, see like the, see the other thing about the, the tarantulas here, like the baboon spiders, you can't see its eyes, right? Um, so I would want really visible orbs like this, um, you know, and then the, there's the whole like second row of eyes is the really creepy thing. I mean, I can't, if, if, if this, if the wolf spider just had those two big eyes, right, it would look a little bit creepy. It's the second row of eyes that really gets to me. I, I have to say, yep. and, and I believe yep. it's one of those that Sam puts out, isn't it? Um, with sting. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, um, yeah. Um, let's see. Robert Brown is suggesting the Australian trapdoor spider, which I have vague memories of the Australian trapdoor spiders. Oh, don't we? Sp- okay, well, that's that's the end of spiders. So I'm I'm okay with this. Now you're right. See, uh, Brianna's pointing out that uh, this is this the wolf spider look is pretty close to the look that they went with in the Chamber of Secrets for Aragog. Um, which is true. I mean, this one here looks a lot like Aragog. But, you know, at the same time, like, we can't necessarily, um, we can't necessarily differ from every possible um, uh, giant spider that's ever been filmed. I would mostly want to be careful to, to, to move away from Peter Jackson's Shelob is the main thing that I think we need to be concerned about. Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm 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 done with the wolf. So like wolf spider body, but think so 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 think. Look at this big black wolf spider here in the middle. Imagine this huge bloated, like proportionally black widow sized abdomen. Right, so it'd be dr- like almost dragging this huge 
bag-like abdomen behind it with the camel spider's mandibles and screeching. Excellent. Perfect. Um, and shrouded in unlight. Absolutely. Um, okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Moving on to happier creatures. Huan. Uh, uh, Huan was cast as an Irish wolfhound. A couple great Irish wolfhound pictures to give you an idea proportionally of how large Irish wolfhounds actually can be. Um, it was funny. We were on... Uh, uh, we were on vacation uh, in uh, on our family ski vacation in February, and uh, this family with an Irish wolfhound was staying at the, at the cabin next to us. And we, ha- I, we we had our little Shih Tzu poodle mix with us, you know, and her whole body was like smaller than the head of this Irish wolfhound. <laughs> and we were like, you know, we've joked about this, but she would make literally one bite of our dog. Um, but, uh, but yes, and Nick, exactly. Huan should be even larger than this. I loved uh, these pictures, especially this image on the left, which I've never seen before. Um, this is, uh, this is, that's proportionally for Huan. I love that, you know, Huan being basically the size of a pony and, uh, uh, you know, this, this, yeah, this, this, this image of Luthien standing next to, you know, with, uh, Huan's shoulder coming up to about this, the, the, to about, uh, Luthien's shoulder. Uh, I love it. That's perfect. That's perfect. I think that's, I think that's just great. This is, this is possibly the best Huan illustration I've, I've seen actually. I, I'm a fan. Um, and here we have, see, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. Huan over here on the right-hand side in this black and white illustration by Randy Vargas. This is nice, but he's too small here. He's 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 hound sized. Um, he should be like that horse should be more nervous. <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah. And he should be, and Huan should be like up to the horse's chest at least. Oh, easily. Yeah, I mean Huan's back should be lower than the back of the horse, but not much right. lower. Right. Yeah. Um, I would think that like a trick rider could stand with one foot on Huan's back and one foot on the back of a horse. It wouldn't be equal, you know, but I would think you could do that <laughs> if Huan would let you. And I can't see why he would. But um, yeah, yeah. He'd definitely um, really like you. He, 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 he really would. He really would. Um, so yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, uh, big fan of the Irish wolfhound Huan thing. Okay, costumes. Um, and we're running out of time, so we'll get through costumes. I think we'll be done after costumes. Um, there's a lot in costumes, but I think we can we can uh, move relatively quickly. I love this. So Marie says, after 15 pages of debate, it was decided to name Fanor's sword Raikwa, uh, which means angry in homage to Graham. Okay. I can go, I will, who am I to argue with 15 pages of debate? I'm not going to, of course, knowing that you guys debated this for 15 pages tempts me just to say no to like throw it back to continue the debate for another 15 pages. But, <laughs> uh, but I won't do that. That would just be now mean. we see what kind of person you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I like it. Yes. Yeah. So his uh, he has he has the angry sword. And yes, we, we talked about Fingolfin's sword. I like it. Forged in Valinor and then reforged as Ringil after breaking in the Kinslang. Uh, uh, all kinds of fantastic. Uh, 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 you know, the reforged as Ringil in memory of the Helcaraxa and the crossing of the Helcaraxa and the forging of the the, fo- the forging of the Noldor. You know, um, 
uh, you know, of like you know the people of Fingolfin and Frenarfin who come across in the crossing of the Helcaraxa. Uh, just absolutely love it. Um, uh, yeah, awesome. So uh, <laughs> they would also like to introduce anti Balrog technology in the Swords of Gondolin. Um, okay, I'm 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 good with that. Uh, though it does raise the question: How many Balrogs are we going to have? Um, I don't think we ever really talked about this uh, because, of course, obviously this is something that changed a good deal over Tolkien's career. Um, there were lots of Balrogs, like they were infantry, not just captains uh, at the beginning. Um, and, of course, dozens of Balrogs are killed in the in the Battle of Gondolin. Um, whereas later on, you get the sense, you know, in the like in the published Silmarillion, you get the sense there's a very small number of them. Um, so that, you know, when we meet a Balrog in Moria, it's not just like one of those monsters from the First Age, but, you know, like one of the captains of Morgoth who has, uh, you know, been hiding there. Um, uh, what do you guys think? <sighs> hmm. <laughs> I have to go with Tolkien's thing of having a lot of them, but then I don't know. I mean, actually, when we talked about, maybe we need to go the smaller number. What is a group of Balrogs anyway? A pod, a pod of Balrogs. Um, no. no. When they destroy like a, the, the lamps, it, right? It was the lamps. We it would be destroy. like a terror of Balrogs or something. A terror. Like that, there you go. I like uh, it. Yes. A terror of Balrogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A horror of Balrogs. Or, a horror yeah, of Balrogs. A terror. A terror. Yeah. Um, I when I hearken back to the, you know, to the lamps episode, when we have the Balrogs doing that, I am thinking that the ones who do it is that's the full count of Balrogs. Yes, and it wouldn't be a big group. Yeah, but it wouldn't be five either. You know, no, um, no, no. It no. would be now, as Marie points out, tens. we can, we it's can, we can ditch a bunch of Balrogs in the in the War of the Powers at the end of season right. one. Um, you know, we can have we can have a high number of Balrog casualties in that battle. So and we could like have the- 25, 30 of them originally and then only have yeah. 12, 9, 10, 7, whatever survive. Right. Right. And then there's also the idea that they could also be elevated to the levels of captain when they are those small numbers. In other words, they don't necessarily start out that way. But Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Would we have to account for most of them or all of them? Would we want the Balrog of Moria to be the last Balrog such that we actually account for the rest of them so that we know there's only the one left? Because really, there are only three Balrogs that die. I mean, again, if you don't count the whole, like the massacre of Balrogs at Gondolin, there's only... There's only three that die on stage, right? There's Gothmog, who is killed by uh, uh, who's killed by Ecthelion, which I cannot wait for Gothmog being killed by Ecthelion. Um, and there's of course the Balrog killed by Gorfindel in the pass, and there's obviously the Balrog of Moria. Um, those are the only three that get like specific deaths. I would be okay with killing off one or two more. In Gondolin. Um, well, what about the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, too? They're in that, right? That's, they are. 
I don't know if any of them die in it. Gothmog kills uh, uh, I mean, kills Fingon. Kill. Right, um, and he takes Huron away. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. we could show we could show Balrogs leading. You know, being like battalion commanders or something, and I mean, some of them can get off, but you know, as side issues, not as story, you know, specific stories. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 Marielle is pointing out that uh, the makers of Lotro would request at least one other Balrog survive. As well. <laughs> Actually, there's several, there are several more. I found one. They <laughs> <laughs> keep creeping up in all these random places. I know. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. If that if that's true, if we go that route and we say the guy in the Lord of the Rings is the last one, and I don't think I mean, uh, so so the the crux of this question is how many Balrogs should we have in our Silmarillion show, right? Yes, exactly. Right. How many total do we have operating from season yeah. two onwards? Because I think, you know, I think we're going to want to start so, sort of similar rationale to um, uh, to Lotro. We're, we're going to want we're going to want to have like a pool of Balrogs. Yeah. As yes. Like, you know, <laughs> villain of a uh, horror of Balrogs. Um, right. To, you know, to, to have some like villains of the week type things where we're like, oh, these good Got guys are doing this action in his fight against, you know. Yeah. Rod. Yeah. There's a, there's this, you know, the good guys are doing something and, ah, crap, we need a bad guy to come and, like, you know, have an action scene or something. I think we're going to, like, it's going to be, we're going to want to have some Balrogs in well, stock. To, to and they could be the guys. Brassies, you know, of, of, of Angband, really, you know. Well, the other thing is that, to do the... yeah, right. Right, right. And if right. the concern is thinning the herd by the Lord Luca of the Rings, I, mean, I just got that. <laughs> the the Luca yeah. Brassi yes. I'm like, let's throw in another. Let's throw in another literary. Yeah, <laughs> we've had Star Trek, Doctor Who. That's Why not right. the Godfather? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and if we need to thin the herd, uh, by but you know, sort of by the Lord of the Rings. I mean, we have several, several large battles throughout history. Right. Uh, in particular, the War of Wrath that can kind of uh, kind of narrow it down a little bit. Well, and that's the other thing is that it gives us the opportunity uh, to we're going to want to have them prominently acting in certain places, like the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Obviously, we, we yep. want some heavy Balrog action there. Um, but we also we may want to use the death of a Balrog to um, highlight the valor of somebody. So like, for instance, there are a bunch of guys who just die. We're not told how they die, but they just die. Right. Um, you know, like Finrod's younger brothers, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm thinking like in Dorthonian in the battle, I would like, um, for instance, an example of a place where I would like to insert a Balrog death would be in the destruction of Dorthonian um, mm, in the mm-hmm. ba- in the Dagor Bragalock, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. told that so we've got the whole people of Baron, like Bari here and his people, um, as well as as well as uh, I mean, and Ignor, Ignor for crying out loud! We're gonna have the right. whole romantic subplot with Ignor. I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be you know him and Andreth, right? He's gonna be one of the like almost not quite, but isn't really one of the unions of the of the first and second born. Right. And he's uh, so he's going to be the he's the 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 guy who doesn't marry the human woman whom he loves and who loves him. And then he's going to die in the Dagor 
Bragalock. So have him dying, like killing a Balrog, like I'd be okay with that, right? I'd, or Mortal I'd... Combat with a Balrog, you know? Both exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, 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 I think it would be. I think it would be a good death for for Ignor. Um, yeah. I do think the Balrog should be a, some kind of an elite guard, you know, or yeah. elite military unit or something. You Definitely. Know? But yeah. Uh, and and I'm not sure. Well, you know, I mean, the accounting for them could simply be at some point somebody says, you know, I don't know. It's like I don't know that they're necessarily counting Balrogs, but. You know, I mean, do we want to get across the point that, you know, there may still be some left <laughs> I think, after whatever battle? <laughs> I think I think Finn Golfin's going to have like a little like a wall where he's keeping track. And he's <laughs> <off>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he carries around a special Balrog stick that he carves notches into. Yeah. There you go. Carves yeah. notches. Yep. And it, I, I think that was—I think that should be given to him by one of the Maiar, who's like, "All right, I know." Like, like there, yeah, actually, there and should then, be there should be a Maiar who's got like a grudge. He's got like a list of all his old buddies that betrayed him and be and became joined uh, Morgoth and became Balrogs, <laughs> and then uh, he builds the stick and then eventually gives it to the Noldor. The Gandalf, and then in Moria, Gandalf can say. Yeah, they got the best one, or something. Right. right, exactly. It's like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta yes. make a Gandalf mark on the stick. Gandalf should pause to to pull it out. <laughs> oh shoot! Somebody mark this guy is gone. Wow. Right. Gonna have to race this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine says, you know, they could be like the Green Berets. They could have berets. Okay. Berets. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Now, I, so I mean, I, I, you know, Nick is uh, expressing uh, uh, concern about uh, adding specific Balrog deaths, since you know Tolkien mentions those very specifically. But I guess you know, uh, uh, Nick, the main thing I would say is he mentions a lot more earlier on. I mean, it's true that only a few survive into the published Silmarillion, um, because his, the concept of Balrogs does seem to increase over time, um, but. Um, but if we, you know, so say we have nine Balrogs or maybe 12 Balrogs or something like that, I would want a large enough number that they could look, they would, look, I mean, if all the Balrogs are charging in the forefront of the battle and, you know, the, in, the, in the Battle of Sudden Flame, like, that's going to be terrifying. It should be enough, large enough to be, to look really intimidating. Um, uh, so maybe something like 12 or something like that. And then we... Um, I am I so so just just thinking off the top of my head here, uh, we need to kill at least three in Gondolin. Obvi- obviously, Gothmog mm-hmm. dies. Obviously, Gorfindel kills one. I would be fine with killing one or two others. Um, ha- have two or kill one. Two or kills like seven in <laughs> in the, the Battle of Gondolin uh, in the Book go. of Lost Tales. Uh, so I'd be fine with having two or kill one with his axe. Um, I would be, uh, so, you know, killing at least three in Gondolin, the fall of Gondolin, I think would be, would be fine. We've got to save one, obviously for Gandalf. Uh, that's four. Um, if we killed one in the Dagor Bragalock, that would be good. We could kill one in the battle of unnumbered tears, but I kind of, I'm kind of thinking we might not, not want to kill one there. Um, but, um, um, yeah, so 
Tom Hillman says Mygland lands on one spiked helmet down. <laughs> no way, man. Mygland can't kill into the spiked helmet. Ecthelion has totally patented that move. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, I, I, seriously, they get killed all over the place in, the, in Gondolin. Yeah, Rog kills one Brianna, absolutely, with his hammer, right? So, uh, no, they, 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 they're, they're, they, they fall right and left in the Battle of Gondolin in, in Unnumbered Tears, which is fine. Like, we don't have to recreate that. Um, but um, actually, you know, maybe we do actually only have them really show up in for the Gondolin battle. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I mean, they, they have to be there another time. I mean, he, like, it's like explicitly a, Gothmog who kills uh, uh, Fingen, for instance, in the battle. No, that's right. Here. He's it. Yeah, he's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I forgot. But but it's fine. You okay. know, I mean, I so so say we, we 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 can kill. We I mean, obviously, it has to be a big deal. I mean, the, the thing that I would say, I mean, Marie, you're right. Like nobody kills a Balrog and lives in the in 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 the later versions. What I would say is it has to be a really big deal. Uh, th- this is why, by the way, Ignor is my chief candidate for Balrog Slayer because he's he, he he can die afterwards, right? I mean, him dying in combat, you know, killing a Balrog and dying in combat with the Balrog would be a really good death for Ignor. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, anyway, I I, I um, oh he's. Marie, you, you don't want Tour to, to kill one because then he would survive. Uh, we could have no... Who is suggesting this? Um, oh, yeah, Tony was suggesting, you know, Turgon could kill one because if Turgon kills one, he's actually killing the Balrog with Glamdring, the very same sword that oh, Yandalf will fight with, interesting. Fight with later on. Uh, yes, indeed. So, you know, that's kind I of like interesting. that. Yeah. Yep. Now, uh, Karina's reminding me that we're uh, we've uh, gotten distracted by the this one line that uh, uh, Marie threw. Oh, into but the so much fun! Here, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, Nick Turgon is up in the tower when it falls. Absolutely. No, that's how Turgon has to die. But he can kill one beforehand. Um, but he could. I mean, in another you know parallel instance, they could go up the tower, and he could kill the the you know the guy up in the tower. Yeah. What right? if? What, what if a Balrog falls to his death with him with the tower? Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then like 20 it. seasons later, we'll see if the viewers remember that scene. Right. When we do the scene with Gandalf. Right. Right. All right. Well, this was really fun. And I'm glad we we got to talk about Gondolin because it's so far <laughs> in the future. But... <laughs> right. Marie just said, and now you know why the sword page is 15 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> right okay all right moving on thank you for the sword discussion now um costume sketches by anastasia anastasia is our primary costume designer which is really so we we we, we put out there a lot of ideas uh, and we throw out a lot of concepts with costuming with the elves especially early on in the season um and um okay so uh we have so the elves at Quivian, and what are the elves at Quivian going to look like? Um, and this is before they're very sharply differentiated, um, uh, according to kinds, right? The Vanyar, the Noldor, and the uh, and the the, the Teleri. So, um, so the the idea here is um, they're mostly rectangles of cloth joined together with found objects. So we don't have a lot of uh, um, so. Th- in other words, not much. And make sure I'm understanding here. First of all, can I confess? I know almost nothing about clothes and and costume design. So I, here I am speaking on something of which I'm wholly ignorant. So I I, I come to this as as uh, somebody who knows absolutely nothing, seeking to be informed. Not the only one. 
Yeah. Okay. So Marie, as, exactly, Marie. Good. That confirms what I was thinking. So the concept is they have looms, they're weaving cloth, but they're not sewing really. So this is so the the idea is of of rectangles of cloth that are being sort of wrapped and folded in different ways around people is the concept of, of what the clothes would look like at Quivienna. So we don't have a lot of hems, you know, nobody wears pants, you know, we have all like robes and skirts and things uh, that works for me, that makes sense. Um, uh, I don't even know, what's a selvage? I don't get that. I don't even understand that word that's on the... Uh, is that a... That's a... It's the edge of the fabric? Okay. All right. Got it. Sure. Yeah. So they would... They would... The edges of the, fa- of the fabric would be would be decorated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't have to be just plain. Um, I agree. Uh, because, I mean, we st- they're still makers, right? Um, yeah. So Marie says, if you weave it on a loom, you could add something to the edge. Right. Exactly. So it would be so the, the edges of the of the cloth would be would be interwoven with patterns and things. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Um, their weaving can be fairly complex. I mean, they're, they're they're still elves after all. And you know, this is actually one of the other things that's kind of interesting to me in thinking about this. When we're thinking about the elves at Quivienen, there is a temptation to imagine. When we think about, it's like when we think about prehistoric humans, right? And so we're imagining, it's easy to sort of imagine the ancient elves as being primitive in some sense, right? And in some sense they would be in the sense that their art, their artistry would not be as practiced as it would later come to be. Um, But I don't think that elves in the beginning would be primitive in the same way that ancient human civilizations are generally conceived of being uh, as, as primitive. Um, uh, exactly, Marie. The, the level of their skill wouldn't be what changes. I, we wouldn't want to show crude things, right? Um, as Marie says, their tools are limited, uh, but their skills are still really, really, really good. Um, exactly, Nick. They still have lifetimes of men to hone their crafts. That's exactly that's exactly the point. Um, their skill is very high to begin with, and they are still personally immortal, right? So uh, it's true that elves as a species might not have been around for a very long time, but the individual elves have been working at this for centuries, and so they would have developed, uh, uh, you know, relatively rapidly. They would develop really good you know, weaving techniques and things like that. So, um, so I wouldn't think anything would be crude looking, um, even if it's simpler in some ways. Okay. Um, then, okay. So the Avari, um, and, uh, and so again, here we have the Avari continuing to dress chiefly in, uh, uh, rectangles and triangles of cloth. Okay, lots of different options here for how that can hang and be wrapped. Very interesting. Uh, and there wouldn't be, there would be no gems, right? So there would be no jewels of any kind, which is a thing we'd have to remember. There could be... What would they have for decoration? Would there be ornaments? They they would have ornaments. Wouldn't they have ornaments? Shells, okay. Right, I could see things like shells, right? Right. 
Um, stones, yes, like like nice river stones and th- exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those things could feature. So like I'm thinking like this uh, woman in the middle with the pendant, right? I I, I could imagine like a, um, you know, like a greenish or reddish like pendant uh, from a from a river stone. I could see that. Um, okay. Uh, now this is an interesting concept: protective decorations, so that they would have started mating, making wards against the Dark Rider, um, and that that later Ivari would have tattoos for this purpose. This is a fascinating idea, um, but of course, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nick points out there was some discussion about what passes for modesty among elves. Um, yeah, so, Nick, the question being, like, how much leg do they show and that kind of thing, uh, <laughs> right? I, I, is, I'm assuming what we're talking about here. Um, you know, do they go in for plunging necklines or not, you know? Uh, it uh, would give us an opportunity to be quite, you know, to get attention if we decided to go skimpy. If we wanted to go all HBO on the shores of Korea yeah, yeah, in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, conceivably. Uh, don't think that's the direction we want to push things, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Actually, I love the idea of the elves having tattoos of all types of elves. I think that would be interesting. I also anyway, like that different. idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, body decoration. I can totally see the Noldor getting into that just for decorative purposes, even though it may start out being for, you know, warding purposes, but that's probably another discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine Galadriel having having some tats, you think? Tats, yeah. you know, tats like, yeah. you know, all up her arm with like Malorn leaves and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't the know. outcry among the purists would be would resound could be heard by the satellites up in the sky <laughs> what if you give if you give Galadriel tattoo sleeves yes yes I can imagine that would probably not go over well um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get nasty grams I've already gotten you, one you already are in the comments um uh <laughs> I like it. I, I kind of like this. See, yeah, little, yeah, <laughs> so good. You know, you know, you know, you know why? This is where my mind's going. I like the idea of thinking of the Noldor as like a biker gang. <laughs> see, 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 Dave. I, I think that's more or less exactly the counter argument to the tattoo. Point. <laughs> <laughs> that's more or less it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Stevens says, see, bikers and sailors. That's the difference between the Noldor and the Teleri. See, you know. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The Um, the Teleri would have anchors tattooed on their upper arms, like Popeye. Or their uh, forearms, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Chris Graham says, Angband's angels. Um, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Here's the the main reason that I pause with... um, with elves, and it seems like a joke, but I don't really mean it as a joke. Over the course of a human lifetime, there are many people 
who come to regret the particular decorative decision they made when they were 16, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're living for 100,000 years, what are the odds that a permanent tattoo is always going to express your particular decorative tendency? This is where thinking as like about the Noldor in particular... Mm-hmm. Thinking like if we th- if we would think about tattoo as an expression of that kind of decorative and artistic impulse, it's not that I can't see it. And because uh, the thing that I'm trying to do when I'm when I'm, when I'm thinking about this question is I'm trying to distance myself from the particular like the biker gang thing. I'm trying to distance myself from particular modern human cultural associations with tattoos. At least like in in our culture, right. Now, to, a, to some extent, those are still relevant, obviously, in thinking about the kinds of associations our viewers are going to be making. We have to be cautious about that, obviously. Um, but I don't just want to come into it with the kind of, with the kind of associations with tattoos that we have. Um, and um, in particular, the bias against tattoos that many people have, you know, the idea of... Uh, yeah. So would elves share that? I, you know, I don't want to assume that they necessarily would because that would, that could just be projection. But what I am thinking, it's the permanence of the tattoo that gives me pause though, because I would like, I would think if we're talking about decorating the self, I would think that Noller would be more into body paint than they would be into tattoos, frankly, because then you could do it differently all the time. You know, and you could match different outfits and different sets of gems and things like that. Um, whereas, I mean, like a tattoo, man, if you got to keep a tattoo for a, for a hundred thousand years, I mean. Well, so I have a rule about tattoos. I actually have tattoos, yeah. but I didn't get mine until I was much older. And so my rule is I believe that person shouldn't get a tattoo until they're at least 35 for just the reasons you cited, which is right. if you do it too young. You know, you just have it. You have to have some life experience. So maybe if you, if you do a mathematical equation, maybe the elves have to be like what six thousand before they can have a tattoo. <laughs> right. Uh, I have oh. a, <clears throat> I have a proposal. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I sort of I sort of I like I like this idea that maybe they wouldn't want to do anything too permanent. Um, so they do body <laughs> Anna. stuff. They could do but, Anna. <laughs> but you know, you know who would do permanent body tattoos. And when they would do it, they would do it when they were leaving Valinor, murdering their um, kin, uh, giving a big uh, middle finger to the Valar, burning ships, saying, we're <laughs> never going back. Screw you guys. Right. There you go. So, so Thanor tattoos like a big set of flames on his biceps and stuff. There you go. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. yeah. If ever now, there were a time when, when, when people would uh, abandon measure and decide, right. like, screw it, I'm getting a tattoo, it would right. be that. <laughs> Right, right. So, so that's I do the- actually. <laughs> I have thought of something, and this is for way down the line. But you know, there are cultures. I believe they're in the Pacific mainly that do scarifying mm-hmm. of this. You know, so it's like like tattoos to the extreme because you're actually right. doing it to your skin. I could see the Numenorean cultists doing that way oh, yeah. down the line. Oh, sure. Way yeah. down the line, scarifying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and. Uh, um, so yeah, so Dave, basically, what your suggestion here is that the, the 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 culminating scene of episode one of season three, right? The speech on Tyrion with the with the you know with the torches with uh, under torchlight as they all go out and they get tattoos together. Is that's the when they yes. agree? Yes. That's the that's the final expression of rebellion. The final expression against of the their defiance. Yeah. 
Right. That's good. That's uh, get a tattoo. That's very moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, see, it's interesting. There's several people just... who are saying that they can see Avari with tattoos. But see, this yeah. is what this is yeah. where I come back. I mean, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. But this is what actually gives me pause, right? Because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, hang on a second. But why? Why would I associate that with? Like, I'm not sure. It's not just my own hangups that I'm associating with. It's like, whoa, like the the net the the Vanyard would never get tattoos, but the the Avari they probably would. Well, why exactly? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, is it impossible that you know the Vanyard would be all like, hey, like stars of Arda, like. You know, on my person. You know, there we go. Um, uh, now, Nick well, yeah, out, I mean, you know, the, the they're like I think we started talking. You know, there could be particular patterns that go with particular, either, you know, what classes of elves, or even within the classes of elves, craftsmen right. or you know, right. soldiers, or I mean, you know, yeah, right. Um, but now, you know, the other thing about it is, even if we go with tattoos, it shouldn't be made a big deal of in right. the show. Yeah, no, it should. It should just be folded in as part of it shouldn't be, yeah. what they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so. Yeah. Uh, now Nick has a really great point. The idea of the Avari being far more resistant to change than the Noldor, and so that's why the Navari are 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 associated. They, that's that's why. So they use tattoos much more heavily uh, than the Noldor would. Um, I like that. I actually like that, Nick. I think that's a good concept. Okay. All right. Carrying on. Well, that was a wonderful diver- digression. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, here we have a couple costume designs. Oh, one nice. for Melian and one for Yavanna. I like the uh, I like the green. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who do we cast? Oh, we cast uh, we cast uh, Zoe from Firefly as Yavanna, didn't we? Did we? I think so. I think we did. Okay. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, I think Zoe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, cool. Uh, and uh, you know, I like the I like the 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 dark flowers from Ellie in there. Very cool, cool concepts. Okay, so we have uh, this is a really neat idea. This is so uh, Anastasia's uh, uh, sketches of the costumes of the ambassadors before and after Valinor. Now, obviously, she's she's oh, forgotten Bobway, but uh, the rest of them are here. <laughs> Um, and I love the fact, so I know it's sad, right? I love this concept. Um, that is the, the, the idea of how their, um, how their, their clothing changes when they return because they need to look very different, right? Obviously they're going to come home, uh, uh, clad in, in, in Valinorian garb. Um, Mm -hmm. I love how she has, she has their color schemes and how their color schemes are, 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 are sort of changing, um, and uh, I think I'd, I, 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 I really like it. Um, I love how Finway seems to be coming home with a backpack on, <laughs> right? He's like, he's, 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 he's come home with the most swag of all of them, which makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. I, I, again, I know nothing about clothes, but I love the. Uh, my favorite is Ingwei, actually. How Ingwei is in this really, you know, the really simple kind of, you know, wrapped sheath robe and cloak uh, from the pre-Valinorian, you know, the Quivian and 
uh, uh, sort of, you know, raps. And then this uh, much more uh, flowing sort of uh, 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 robe I really like with a fancy neckline and everything. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay, and then uh, uh, Elves on the Great Journey, right? So we have the Vanyar, Noldor, and Teleri now differentiating themselves um, with the Vanyar being still generally in in robes. We got them in sort of fringed robes where the Noldor are beginning to wear like tunics and pants and things. Uh, and the Teleri, I like with the, the, the Teleri with like the, the, the pants bunched down around the ankles and stuff. Uh, looking... Uh, looking kind of uh, uh, Asian, really. Well, and I mean, if you're going to walk through a forest, you have to do that. You know, you got yeah, to protect exactly. yourself from having spiders go up your legs. See? Well, see, there we go. Back to the spiders. Thank you for <laughs> Back just to the spiders. giving flashbacks to all of our viewers who had happily forgotten <laughs> the spiders by now. Um, I'm a stinker. Yeah. No, 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 no that's good. person I am. That's good. Uh, and then... Uh, um, the the elves in Valinor, so you know one step further. And again, the Noldor oh, very yeah. intricate. Um, uh, I was interested to see that she has given uh, she has given a plunging decolletage to the uh, to the Noldor woman, um, which actually seems to me very fitting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, um, and. I love the little the little Chinese hats that the Teleri guys are wearing. It's just adorable. Um, uh, yeah, very simple kind of slippers for the Vanyar, mm-hmm. fancy shoes for the Noldor, uh, uh, sort of sandals Practical for the shoes. for the yeah. Teleri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Uh, oh, the hat is a Mesopotamian hat. Interesting. Oh, neat, neat. Yeah, this is great. These are great, great concepts. Um, uh, now, color schemes. So we have Muriel. Um, uh, the coloring, of course, taken oh. from the taken from the from the seal. Tolkien drew all these different seals of the different of you know many of the different Silmarillion characters. Um, so Muriel's colors being orange, uh, sort of yellow, orange, and red. Um, yes, this idea of starting her on jewel tones and then fading like a like a peach yeah. rose there uh, over time that's really neat. Yeah, yeah. As Marie points out, this is this is Finway's symbol up here. Uh, so she would be in she would be in his colors there after they're married. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Karita says she wouldn't be mad if the Noldor men got plunging necklines as well. No, exactly, Karita. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, the Noldor would be more about show, so I would think they would show off their persons as well. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, show off what you got, you know, would be more of a Noldor thing, I would think. So it's not just the decorations, not just the, the clothing and the jewels they would put on their persons. But, yeah, I do think that they would um, they would show off their bodies more. Both men and women would show off their bodies more. It doesn't mean nudity, but it does mean that their um, th- clothing, unlike the, the Teleri and the Vanyar, their clothing would really be designed to draw attention to 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 their bodies, you know, to the attractiveness of their bodies, um, in ways that would be just very different from the way that the other elves would. That that just that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. Um, 
Tony asks, are we going for long hair with the elves? I assume, Tony, you mean like, are we going for like long hair, like everybody long, like long haired men as well as long haired women? Do, 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 do all elves have long hair? Um, what do you think? See, it's one of those things which is so standard. I like my knee jerk reaction is to not do it because everybody does it. Um, but yes, having some variety, Chris, I think makes sense. Um, especially among the, um, especially among, well, and yeah, Nick is arguing the Vanyar might all have sort of shortish hair. I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, I think it would, it would really vary. Um, the Noldor, I think, would often have longer hair because they'd want to be able to do stuff with it. You know, curl it and braid it and do fancy things. Um, yeah, exactly. That's just what Nick was saying. Uh, longer hair for fancier updos. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, awesome. Some uh, some Brie Melvin pictures. This is a Teleri Fisherman. Okay, so we've got some... Uh, 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 I really like it. Like practical clothing, not fancy. Um, I really like the the like ankle waders he's got going here. That's, that's nice. Okay, uh, Philothrim, right? So her images of some of the Philothrim. Now these would be probably a bit later on, right? This we wouldn't. They wouldn't look like this probably yet. Um, Bree, you're probably thinking Philothrim, uh, like under Kyrdan, in, you know, like later with the, um, in relationships with, uh, you know, with Fingal of Doriath and stuff like that, probably. Yeah, exactly. More from the time of Baron. That's what I was thinking. Late first age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course, the scale armor. Yeah. Got to have the scale armor with the Philothrim. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Okay, so Noldor inspiration. Structured colors for Noldor outfits. Uh, so we have several images, which I am not even going to attempt to describe, of like very high ornate structured colors in uh, uh, in uh, weird fancy uh, uh, fashion models on runways here. Um, this one over here, I can totally picture Feanor wearing that. Can't you... Can't, can't, <laughs> Can't you picture Fanor wearing a neckline like that? I totally can. Kind of make him look like a look like a uh, like a lion with a mane around his head, right? I oh, totally yeah. see that. Yeah, and with that red hair. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, I mean, having some of the Noldor dressing in in um. Nick says, but uh, a bit deeper, you know, to show more of his fabulous chest. Yes, I agree. That that would that would that would probably be would probably be be mandatory. Wait, does he have red? He doesn't have red hair, does he? Does he have red hair? No, he doesn't have red hair. He has dark hair. I, I'm sorry, I went away. I think I was thinking Myron. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he he has he has he has dark hair, but there is dark red hair. hair among the Thanorians, isn't there, Marie? As I'm recalling. Yeah, it seemed like there was. I mean, I was just thinking fire, red hair. I Among his kids, as I, as I, yeah, as I recall. Yeah, Mythros has red hair, right. Exactly. 
Matan has red hair. Exactly. Matan. So his kids will have red hair. Right. His father-in-law right. is the red-haired <laughs> one. So he has he has he has dark hair. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But no, Thank see that you guys are out there. This kind of this kind of uh, this kind of like exotic artistry in clothing design among the Noldor. I think especially as they get towards the end. I wouldn't think at the beginning here, but by the time like the unrest of the Noldor is in full swing, like they're not only they're not only uh uh, uh forging swords, they're making uh, you know weirder structured collars on their clothes. Like yeah, I can totally I, I can fashion totally see obsessed. That. They're like yeah. fashion obsessed, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um Nick is wondering if the Noldor would ing- would dye their hair as well. Like are we gonna see some like elaborately like green haired Noldor and stuff? Oh my. I mean, I, I, I would think, um, I'm not sure, uh, but the, you know, definitely the, the, to have them be more ornate in their, uh, um, in their decoration, increasingly ornate, uh, as the time goes on, um, would be, would be awesome. That would fit. Okay. The, uh, design inspiration for the elves of Alqualonde knits felt and layers with these sort of, uh, um, you know, really nice kind of coral and, uh, uh, you know, sort of sea stone, colors. This is great. Yeah, these are awesome. Yeah. Cool. Like it. All right. And we're up to music, which means it's the end, which is good because I got to go. Um, <laughs> but uh, awesome. OK, very good. Well, thanks, everybody. This was a fun discussion um, and uh, I look forward to so next time we're going to talk about music and we're not just going to listen to the music. What I wanted to do, and this is something I was talking about with uh, Philip Menzies, our, 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 our chief uh, uh, in-house composer uh, for the music. We're going to show we're going to play a bunch of, of Phil's pieces. But there were a bunch of things where I was wanting to kind of talk about concepts, you know, sort of think about the kinds of uh, the kinds of themes and concepts that we want to associate with particular musical themes and how we are and and to sort of think through how we articulate those things. Um, So we're going to talk about some of these ideas uh, as we uh, listen to and think about some of the themes that he does. And then we're also going to do next. So next next session, two weeks from today, will be the final session of season two season two will be officially done after this coming week um so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna listen to and we're gonna talk about music and themes um and we're also then gonna do a kind of a glance forward to season three to kind of remind everybody of where we're headed so you can be you can be thinking about it and uh preparing yourself rallying your ideas starting some discussions and things uh and then we will be all ready to hit the ground running uh when we start season three so Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us here today. This was a lot of fun, and I look forward to uh, I look forward to, to seeing you guys in two weeks for the end of season two. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.